and welcome to the Crash Courts Podcast, episode 101, the beginning of season three, if we have seasons. Spoiler. There was yeah, one of spoiler by, spoiler one of us dies at the end of the like season. Three point oh one then, or something like that. Yeah, we don't really mark the seasons. Yeah, I like I like I like. The but numbers. there is a spoiler for this season. One of us dies by fire. I it's why would he say that? <laughs> why did you say that? <laughs> It'd be really unfortunate if one of us actually burned. What's death. funny is now we have the star wipe, and it says I am going to bring earlier a yeah. bucket of sand in here just in case anything like. <laughs> goes down like that. Honestly, f- sand is not good well, for a person. Well, in my house, there's this bucket of sand that's been there ever since they bought the house in 1954. It probably dates from, like, the previous owners back to the 30s. It's a bucket of sand. It's been down there for, like, 75 years. You know what? You and should it sell that on eBay. fire on the front. So, yeah, that's what it's for. No, that is a mislabeled bucket. It, it should say sand. sand. <laughs> This, this, see, this is why we need time machines. I need to tell that guy, you mislabeled the bucket. What are you doing? Um, I would love to see a bucket of fire. I do want to start by saying, um, thank. well, first of all, thank you everyone who listened last week to our big 100th episode. Also, I went to see the Macy's fireworks on the 4th of July, which just passed. No celebrity encounters. However, they were gorgeous. What music did they choose? See, that's what was really interesting, is that... Country? No, it was. They had a lot of classical pieces for the fireworks, which they usually do for Macy's. So a lot of the, 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 oh, well, this were, is the one they do in the East River. Yes. Oh yeah, I just remember because I was watching television. Well, yeah, there are musical actually, performances it has, also. It does have, oh, there was a of course fun, there's classical performances. There's always uh, John Philip Sousa is always featured. Well, no, yeah, but like when the actual fireworks are going on, it's usually instrumental classical pieces. But one of the performers that's John Philip Sousa, yeah. guarantee you. One one of the performers this Not year classical. was Lionel, Lionel Richie. So before he started playing at all, yeah, I know he's still alive, and it's actually still really good. I didn't think he was still making music. Well, he played old songs, but the oh, okay. the, the funny thing is, he pl- the two songs he played were the two like the two I guessed before he even opened his mouth the two songs he'd play and he played them. One was "Dancing on the Ceiling" and the other one was um, uh, "Rhythm of the Night." He played both of them and. I was so proud of myself that I what? guessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was walking That's down. Billy Joel. Oh, That's okay. River of Dreams. Not Rhythm to of the Night. To the River of Dreams. Yeah. In the Rhythm of the Night. Something. No, it's not. I got it, right? It's in the middle of the night. I go walking in my sleep. Oh, I go walking in the, in John, the middle of the night. You weren't right. In the, None in of us were right. I know I music. believe that there are several websites Sometimes. devoted to misquoted lyrics. That's true. But anyway... Back to the 4th of July. Yeah, John will appreciate this slight tangent. They created the most awesome and useless technology ever for the fireworks. Synchronized explosions. No. Well, yes, but no. They made glasses that were paper glasses that looked like old 3D glasses. What they were were... What they were were... They took points of light, and any point of light had stars around it because of the pattern on the glasses. So every time the, every time the fireworks exploded, it exploded with stars. And me and Sarah both agreed, this is the best, most useless technology ever invented. It would have been more interesting if they were able to create, because you can mix those gunpowders pretty cool, uh, you actually do red and blue 3D type glasses, like the different filters. Oh, yeah. Because if you explode it the right way, you can get like a weird stereoscopic or whatever it's called kind of effect, yeah. where in one eye it's one color and one eye it's another color, because you're working with a black background anyway, mm-hmm. and you can really futz with people's ability to see color and something like that. But this was mostly just to see things so exploding Tyler, with Tyler stars. Tyler Parker to do this in his Shadow Play project, <laughs> episode 13. Um, Check it out. Oh my god, that was a long time ago. But all in all, the fireworks were a blast. <laughs> Ha ha ha. 
and the music really oh. like having Give those that back to Steve. Uh, Give that back to Steve. Hey, having that powerful classical music behind the actual fireworks exploding works every time. Oh, also they had fireworks exploding off of the Brooklyn Bridge, which was awesome because they didn't close wait. the bridge. Wait, wait, wait. They spent really? the last four years. Yeah, trains were going across the bridge as it was happening. There's no, no trains no, no, that no, go no, across no. the Brooklyn Bridge. Bull. No, Brooklyn Bridge. Trains go across the no, Brooklyn they Bridge. No, they don't. Yeah. Manhattan Bridge. No, Brooklyn Bridge. Manhattan Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge. Manhattan Bridge. Then it was the Manhattan Bridge. There you go. Because there oh, were trains okay. going across. Because they've then been trying it was to, the Manhattan Bridge. Saying, is what I'm saying. They've been trying to fix the Brooklyn Bridge don't for like you, four don't years. Don't you mess my so bridges, man. Don't you mess with them. I hope that you're wrong and you have to... Cor- Dude, if you turn out to be wrong... There have not been going across the Brooklyn Bridge since March 5th of 1944. Think I'm wrong? No. He knows not necessarily. Trains. He though. knows trains. March 5th, 1944. I want that on the air. Steve's pointing at me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. It's a little disconcerting. <laughs> we're getting a little sidetracked, but also before we move on to... Uh, our album of this week, which I chose. Two important things. One, this Sunday, I believe it is, if you are free and not doing anything and live in the New York area, Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, who I've mentioned many a times, are filming a music video in New York, and there will be brief performances beforehand of the Wasties and Painless Parker. Um, so you should come out to that, be in the crowd for the music video, and see some great music. I was in a music video once. No, you weren't. Yeah. Which? Suicide Machine. Really? Yeah. Asbury Park, 2003? Table that. We'll come back to that another time. Yeah. Um, Huh. They made me lie down and sprayed me with fake blood. Like the whole crowd. It was pretty cool. Everybody go watch that video. That was your host. Um, John. I don't even remember what But yeah, so they're they're, Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings are shooting a music video. I'm going to try and get these guys to come if they're free on Sunday. I'm going to be there. Um, Even if you're not local, take a plane over here. Yeah, there you go. Um, The other thing is something new and exciting for season three. We'll see how often we do it, but for this time anyway. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mark Young, um, the bassist for Head PE. He's been there since the beginning of the band. They've had a few new members, but he's one of the um, original members along with the lead singer, Jared. And uh, we chatted for about a half hour on the phone um, about the band's new album coming out on July 22nd, Evolution. The evolution of the band, which ties into the interview. Um, And the new single, uh, which I'm blanking on the name of now, but we'll cite somewhere. And, um, and yeah, it was great to chat with him. Um, as you all know, I do a partnership with Broken Records Magazine. I'm writing an article for them as well about the new album coming out. and One of several articles you got in the works for them. Yeah, um, and, uh, and about, you know, with quotes from the interview with Mark. But we have the full interview for the podcast with, the, uh, with their publicist's blessing. So that will be featured at the end of this episode. Um, Later on Crash Chords. We will, we will definitely take a break. Another spoiler. I would right give there. you the timestamp, but we don't know yet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but we will uh, we will insert the interview, and then we'll do our usual wrap up, of course. But um, but that will be here, so definitely check out that because it was great talking to him. He's actually a really brilliant guy. He's British, so that's always exciting. I like accents. He's from Newcastle, and his joke was, "Well, I'll let him tell it in the podcast." Anyway. That's hysterical. Hanging on that. That's, yeah. He mentions that he's from Newcastle, so and he's cool. like, you know, where the First beer comes from. First, he spoils that we're going to have an uh, interview the, at the uh, end. The Newcastle beer and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, so matter of fact, actually. Yes. It's not funny at all. That's a fact. That. Thank you. Thank you. I would think that because he's British and they have old castles over there, there might be some sort of wordplay going on there. That w- See, that would be a joke. <laughs> that's that's a good thing. He might have made it funnier than I'm resuscitating it or something like that. More like drowning. <laughs> Regurgitating, I think is more that the, was word. the word I was looking for. Um, so this week's album uh, is actually my choice. It's something that I went to mostly. Well, a it started with a love of a band from the early two thousands, the White Stripes, 
Um, I was a huge fan of them, even though some of their songs are very simplistic, but what they did with the simplicity was kind of amazing. Um, but I was a very big fan of the lead guitarist slash bassist, Jack White, and singer, um, who then went on to be in The Racketeurs. He was also in... The Dead Weather? The Dead Weathers. And then, of course, had a solo career. His first solo album, I believe, was 2012. Um, and so he's got a brand new album that came out in June that I've been sitting on to review because I wanted to do it for the podcast called Lazaretto. Which means uh, Lazarettos are actually old time, well, kind of like leper colonies. When people start getting sick, they put these in these quarantine areas called Lazarettos, uh, which were in use until about 1910-ish. And so, come very from interesting. Come from Lazarus. Take yeah. that tidbit, put it in the back of your mind. It'll come up later. Um, and so that's the and so the new album. It just came out in June. Um, the title track is also the the first single of the album. And my love of Jack White mostly comes from the fact that he's a very talented and intelligent musician. He recently did a documentary. It was him, Jimmy Page, and I believe The Edge from U two about guitarists and and guitar work and, and I haven't watched it that's yet that's kind of awesome that he was that but, he was next to those two but I want to watch it because he's a very talented musician and I've always loved just about all of his work so I was very interested to see this sophomore album under just his name and see what he does with it because he's worked with lots of different musicians played with other artists he even toured with Conan O'Brien um when Conan O'Brien was between shows he t- had a live show and a tour and he played a few shows with Jack White Conan O'Brien, of course, is a known guitarist as well. As oh, please Canadian. tell me they build themselves white and Coco. I don't think that they did. Coco White? Coco Whitey? Um, that would be also, scratch, Jack White holds the record. I think you had brought this up, Steve. Um, the fastest recording to print album. He recorded an EP live at a record studio, printed it, and had it in store within, I think it was 16 hours or something. I don't recall bringing that up, but... Uh... Cool. But it was something like that. If I don't I I, the numbers are not cool. accurate, but he recorded a live set, sent it to print, and had it in store within a very short period of time. I think it was something like sixteen hours, which is really impressive and holds the Guinness Book of World Records for fastest music to print. Well here's another thing I want to mention about uh, Jack White and at at large the what former white stripes. And that's uh, we we've we've actually touched upon this previously on on other episodes that what would be the continuation of rock as the core genre? We have all these different different branches of rock that separated at different times, like punk and everything else. But if rock, just in, in the trunk format, were to survive into the present day, I think we came up with two names that would actually be that. And one would be Queens of the Stone Age, and the other would be the White Stripes. Because there are there is a style there which seems to just harken back to like and eh, to some extent seventies to some extent sixties and I, I have a hard time actually describing it as anything other than a rock modern, like modern rock yeah now I'm not flat out uh, making that claim to encompass this album particularly but granted it comes in, in in various stages you just hear those guitar solos and it's nothing but rock nothing but rock that's all you hear. You're saying that's kind of nice. bad thing. Okay, thank no, you. No, that's nice. That's actually nice. Because, I mean, we, uh, we, we messed up this before, even when we were talking about the Queens of the Stone Age, not just that album, but previous Queens of the Stone Age albums, that it's nice to hear something in its purest form, considering that many people indicted rock as being dead for all intents and purposes because alt can be so, well, alternative. Yeah. 
Man. Well, I mean, also the idea that, and this is not just the music genres, but a lot of other genres that have alternative as a subtype starts to lose its meaning because once it's not an alternative to anything else, it's just another type of exactly. genre. Exactly. Like alternative comedy was huge, you know, back when like the Zach Galifianakis's and, and, and Janine Garofalo's and Brian Pissane's, those these kind of comedians who are younger and alternative to the mainstream joke, punchline, joke, punchline. But, but once most of comedy started to go in that direction. Yeah, and how then, can you possibly say it's alternative? And then even, or when that they were just creating their own genres within alternative comedy, it's the same thing with so alternative music. in that case, are you, are you making the claim that because so much music today is alternative, that in many cases, this style of rock, it, even though it was the trunk, it's a sort of dated concept? I don't, I don't say that negatively. I'm I don't know that it's dated. Speak I, I to just the think, age of the music. Well, yeah, I think it's more that just the word alt is starting to lose its meaning because you're putting it in front of so many other things. Well, and, it's like and saying, what is no, it no, an no, alternative no, no. Wait, wait, to? Wait, 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 wait. It's like using the word rock as well and putting it behind everything. Right, punk rock. Because at, at this point, rock, if you say rock, you just mean, rock. well, there's a guitar, a bassist, and a drummer. Right, but I'm inferring because what, what happens is when you do that, when you have so much out there that is alt, it makes the remaining the remaining core component a minority in its own genre, which is actually kind of interesting, which I actually am inclined to say, yes, that is what this is. I hear nothing like the White Stripes these days, even though it is rock, just straight up, well, yeah. it, there is nothing else like it, really. Everything else, I could probably say, you know, goes toward something else. Either toward alt, either toward punk or post-punk or post-rock. Or no matter what, it's going to have some little division. But this, I don't see that. And that makes it special these days, Yeah. ironically enough. Yeah, I well, yeah. I mean, I have a friend who's in a band that plays in more or less this kind of regular rock and roll style. And I was kind of blown away by it because no new bands seem to really do that that much. There you go. So if it's eyebrow raising... <laughs> then uh, that kind of speaks to what, exactly what is happening around it. Yes. Well, okay. I think this is a good point to start with our first track because there's a couple of things here I want to point out. All right, go for it. One. Okay. The track, track title. is the track is three women. Um. Speaking specifically about how it's very rock, you're getting a a couple of things that are going to be telltales for that. One is the repetition of line work, uh, especially in um, either bridges or choruses. Just repeating the same thing over again is a big old school trick for a lot of classic rock. Another is... My uh, right, first line is a repetition. Yeah, yeah, I got three women, red, blonde, hair, and brunette. I got three women, red, blonde, and brunette. It goes on. It's every single line at the beginning of a stanza, it's always repeated. Um, um, now, there's a reason for that, and actually it does... It does hint to something that does define this in a more specific way than simply rock, and that's actually blues. This is a very blues structure, this song, especially in its whole 1-4-5 process that's just... It even, it even has the attitude of blues. It also has the break work that I'd expect in a lot of uh, blues-oriented yeah. music. I'm not sure if it's straight up 12-bar blues, but it's, it's blues. Those sure. pauses between uh, vocal parts to introduce a sort of expose of the instruments between each of them, like short little snippets? You know... Or is that more of a jazz thing? Actually, that's the one component of this that I would I would speak more more toward alt, believe it or not. Because, believe it or not, it's, 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 um, it's just oddball. 
That's what it is. Which is why, especially I w- when you have that piano, for instance. I I, I don't want to get uh, into this quite yet, but I, I will highlight this one point. There's one part you can't you can't ignore when it happens, and that's the point in which everything pulls out, and there's a piano playing in a very awkward rhythm, hard to the right ear if you're listening on headphones, and it's unaccompanied by everything by anything else, and then all of a sudden breaks right back in with the main theme. It's really jarring. I just want to mention before we get too much further into the song, because I did forget to mention it in the introduction, the music in this album and the writing, it's all based on a play and other writings that Jack White did when he was 19. Um, So there was a cohesive narrative that this was kind of pulled from, which we'll come back to later, which is important to note. A cohesive narrative that it's pulled from, and yet I would also argue that because it's taken from snapshots of what he may have written when he was 19, there's also a a disparate uh, sort element. Of, yeah, a disparate element to this album, and why you might have cases like that, where the piano is just here randomly, little snapshots of, of not just words, but sound bites of ideas. It's, it's a kind of collection. And this song did suffer from that soundbite idea. Uh, between, each, there. between each verse section and, and chorus section, we're getting different exposés of instruments. The the problem I was having with this, though, was, was sort of like all I was really doing was restating parts of the harmonies and the melodies with just a different sound. I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, some of the uses, I mean, you had the violin a little bit here and there. You had the bass, you had the guitars, the piano, you have... A little bit of electronica thrown in here. You got this, that, and the other thing. And it was kind of disconnected because they didn't seem like they were naturally evolving from one to the other. That's where I was getting my issues. Well, I think that's just because of the fact that this we identified this as like a straight-up rock kind of track. Yeah, granted with blues intro, but that's that's neither here nor there because most, I mean, rock came from blues. That's just the earlier part of this single trunk line that we're developing. But then when all of a sudden he does decide to throw in these little random sound bites here and there, then it does step to more of a 2000s present-day-minded uh, kind of indie alternative... Uh, I suppose um, inclination, the desire that well you can't be too uh, traditional because that might bore people or that might you know immediately send them back to late sixties early seventies. So maybe you have to do something a little bit crazier that might you know be more in tune with the present day. I don't know that it's about appealing to present day that he jumps around like that. I think it's more the fact that Jack White is a very openly admitted heavily influenced artist who not only just plays guitar but lives it and and does this thing where he he likes to fuse a lot of the things that have influenced him and i think that's what this is it's the album maybe if it's based on writings from when he was younger they were written very stream of consciousness oh i'll have a little of this i'll have a little of that i'll have a little of this and then as he was writing it and fine-tuning it now was still doing that kind of adding a little bit here and there and also i feel like well, you think you guys think it's a negative that it's kind of a little all over the place. Knowing Jack White's past discography and being a big fan of all of his work. Oh, it's not unexpected. Yeah, by any stretch. I haven't but, necessarily indicted it as a, as a negative yet. Okay. I, I'm I'm merely making a theory here as oh. to why that might be the case, as to why there might be more of a sporadic-minded well, then thing for out here. I'm getting on an early defensive, I guess, maybe unnecessarily, but. I just want to point out that I feel like this song has a specific jauntiness and 
energy that's really engaging because of how he does a little of this and then a little of that and then a little of this and he kind of pulls it all together by just kind of making it high energy which is what you want for an introductory track on a rock album oh, and this does have a have some high energy to it i mean let's just begin at the, at the at the very beginning here the uh at the beginning of three women you have sort of i guess aside from the standard blues structure there's this very odd riff that you know rather than going something more steady like one and three and one and three and instead you get this little emphasis on the fourth semiquaver just prior to that one beat you have a one and a three and a one and and there's that emphasis on that uh just prior to the one it kind of adds a little bit of a stride to the beginning of this so that is kind of high energy in itself a little bit of attitude a little bit of energy and then Combined with other factors, yeah, you're thrown back to the late 60s, 70s feel, but it's not all negative. I'm going to make that clear. Warm bass, for instance. Very warm, probably all direct input uh, combined with the organ immediately sets you back in a time period. That, again, is not negative for me. Some of the... There's actually this joke. I think it's... Uh, I forget exactly where the joke came from. It was, oh, everybody knows Rock achieved uh, perfection back in 1974, which is a funny comment and obviously a little bit cheeky. But at the same time, it has some truth to it if you think about exactly what my premise was. That rock has come so far, and that rock isn't rock anymore. Rock is alternative, rock is this, rock is that. Rock is all these various subgenres, but it's not rock anymore. In which case, you have to say that the, the, the cohesive entity of rock really was probably around that time before it split in all these directions. And that is exactly what he's hearkening back to here, in this song, and to a great extent in the album. Yeah, but I'm still gonna get, I get drawn back to one of my previous complaints, which is, you, you had that organ piece, which yes did throw you right back into the 1970s. You also had it completely reproduced by the piano directly afterwards, which I felt really didn't add character, didn't really add any exposition to the song. Well, it wasn't it just, the same. Was just that wasn't the same part that was that was reproduced. Um, it was but actually it was, it was it was they had carried a whole separate tone to it. I mean, mm-hmm. the piano was used but, actually to for the riff. The, the organ was used just to kind of drive it home. It was a background. It would just hold out and play throughout everything. But that, that's, to that's, me, is that's where my issue starts coming up. It, it, it's, it's, these random changes, these experimental changes, uh, well, I'm, I'm not saying it's not fun listening to this, but it's not really, it's not really anything but expected at this point. But I want to make a division between what is random and what is not. See, I'm familiar with the bass. I'm familiar with the organ. So those are the things that I'm, I'm, I'm citing as part of what might be the core of this song. And then there's moments where he pulls away and does random things, like, for instance, the but, piano that you're citing. But this isn't a new idea itself. This is something that itself harkens back to the 60s. Think of uh, the Beatles' Northern song. Oh, yeah. A great yeah, example of that. Playful, for sure. Where you just start throwing in, you're doing a song with one key and with one instrument group, and between each verse, you just throw in some random horns or random what have you or random this. Just get an orchestra, start throwing pieces of it at the actual recording device. That that is is how this was presented, and to some extent. No, yeah, actually, you make a good point there. And that after like the first or second section of this, I was just expecting it, and that kind of hurt it for me. Yes, there was fun little tidbits, and yes, they were interesting, but it wasn't like I was wowed by it or anything like that. It was familiar. Not not unfun, but 
but not unusual. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly where I'm headed down here. You're right. I don't think I don't think even even those sporadic changes were enough to really pull me away from uh um I suppose of the era. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. But yeah, I I had a hard time accepting this though as anything completely you know, it wasn't going to blow me away. See, but for me, I don't need it to be brand new to blow me away, although sometimes it helps. I, I, I appreciated what it did to get the energy going for the start of this record, and it actually hit me exactly how I wanted it to. And I mean the lyrics for the start of a record. It's, it's a very cocky tale about someone who has three women and he, this idea that he's dating three women, and he knows it might even be wrong. You know, or people might view him as wrong, but he's it's just a little doing misogynistic. This it's it's this, is. yeah, it's just, he's doing this thing where he's, you know, has these three women, and you know, I mean, but of course, it's all tongue and cheek, and we'll get to that later. But, but I, this is because well, there's a on the music here. though right now, and specifically on the music. I think, I think the real problem is that those sporadic changes. It's not so much that that's pulling me away. I I don't, I don't think it's enough to save it necessarily. I think that's my point. It's not enough to sort of make it unique enough to really get me fully invested in this track. At the moment, it's just a little bit eyebrow-raising. See, I just don't feel like it need, this track needs saving. I feel like the music stands up on its own. It yeah, might Saving is a harsh word. I, saving I, feel, is, I feel like the music here... Well, yes, to it make has, me fall in love with okay, it. Okay, fair. Then, then it's a personal preference at that point. I think for me, the, music, the musicality shows talent... And, and his skill, but it doesn't it doesn't blow me away with his massive talent. Clearly, he's doing just a little here, a little tongue-in-cheek. But the song, I think the music, the fact that it's not going all out, is supporting that tongue-in-cheek nature of the the attitude in the lyrics. Well, I, had I think a, that's the idea. I had sort of a parabolic experience with this song. It starts out as very... Uh, yeah, it's familiar. You know, it's not going to... It's not going to really bring me into a whole new world here. It's clear. But then it's clearly groovy, right? I can't ignore the fact that it's groovy and that there's a lot of talent here. But then at the end of the day, I come back and say, well, even after all of those little sporadic things, it's just too familiar. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's a painful reaction I had to this because I wanted to believe, even as of the beginning, based on my premise here, I wanted to believe that the, the sort of throwback to to rock as it was or rock as it was in its peak would be a real saving grace for this but it wasn't quite having having it yet for me i i wanted i wanted that other thing all right i mean speaking to the lyrics though what i really like about the lyrics here is that he he's pretty much tongue-in-cheek all the way through and kind of admitting that it's all you know a little bit misogynistic but it's also like the core uh after the second chorus where he goes i wish i could tell you just what my three women do and yeah i wish i could tell you just what my three women do but if i open my mouth well that'll be three women that i lose so the idea that he knows he's doing something a little wrong and if he talks about it he'll lose it all you know no well, there's also the fact that he could be playing up the whole idea that men when they talk get themselves in trouble right it's further than that. It doesn't matter which one he's talking about or who he's talking about, too. He's just going to get himself in trouble. Especially because of the situation he's in. Oh, yeah. Because of the cockiness that he's aware of that, 100%. Yeah, now I know what you're thinking. What gives me the right? Well, these women must be getting something because they come and see me every night. I mean, yeah, yeah that's just... It's, that's very a very cocky thing to say. Yeah, it's a very you know, like I know deal. your indictment, but I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just lends to... Some. What I like about this track is it starts the record off in this kind of immature, very 
uh, a cocky place. You know, he, he, he knows he's getting away with murder, essentially, and he's going to keep doing it. And these women don't have any complaints, so you shouldn't either kind of a thing. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's where this song is coming right. from. and I suppose from that angle, the music kind of does fit that cocky stride and mm-hmm. doesn't really need to be uh, too much beyond that. I mean, yeah, it, Which is obviously why I you couldn't it. even have this, this premise, th- this song's premise, I think, without, um, without, this, uh, without this backdrop. Yeah. So they kind of go hand in hand. I mean, the fact that the fact that I'm wanting more in the musical front maybe is a little bit of a catch twenty two here. But you know, I I gotta just point out the little things that bother me, and that's just the fact that the the riff that that one riff there where he kind of breaks up the minor triad a bit that one one three one four three one one three one five three one that kind of thing. Yeah. Got a little bit tiring after like the eighth ninth time. Eh, you know, it, it it's a it's a it's a kind of walking riff. It's the kind of thing that recurs now and then. It, it, it binds the song together, but it doesn't bind it in the most pleasing way, I suppose you could say. It could be tighter, or it could be more expansive. It could be any one of those things. It's just, eh, I don't know. Left me a little wanting. And, I mean, it's a fair argument for the track, but I just don't completely agree. But I understand where you're coming from as far as wanting more. I just think the character of the song spoke for itself, and that's where I was happy with it. Um, and I thought it was a great lead into the single, which is the second track on the album, Lazaretto, which I'm probably still pronouncing wrong, but whatever. I will I've say, committed to it. I will say that the track, it screamed, I'm having fun, but I'm breaking no molds. And I think that's... It was I a mean, fam- it's honest. It's yeah. a familiar introduction. Yeah. And uh, so now we go into the first single, as I had mentioned before. And why, what I really like about this song from the beginning is it's just... It's kind of a no-bones-about-it kind of groovy track, and that's all it's supposed to be. And it starts just from just the bass line and the way he sings, the little sound effects he uses in the beginning. But it's got this lyrical flow that I really like. That, Like Steve said, it's almost hip-hop. It's not, it, but it's close. It's, well, not hip-hop straight up, but rap rock. Because it has, it has the... Um, Sort of an, an assertive, definitely an emphatic melody, but but yet it's not really melodic. Yeah, I would say that it, I would it holds, say that well, it's, no, it's, it's not influenced. always melodic. I yeah, it's, whole, it's it holds no um, higher level of syllable use. It'll he says what he says, how he says it, in the timing he wants to say it. Yeah, that's where you're getting that rap or, orientation on it, that hip hop orientation to it. Well, um, you know what it made me think of? of it made me think of of uh, give it away by uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. That exact same style to it, which in many ways is kind of a bygone thing, because even though it's not my favorite side of Chili Peppers, I mean, I I was actually kind of interested to see how it might be redeveloped by them. Yeah, they've still done it on a few albums. I haven't heard the newest album, but the album before, on Stadium Arcadium, they did have a few songs that still had that kind of funk hip-hop feel that they had done in early records. Right, but specifically, I want to see how White Stripes does it, and, uh... They do something kind of interesting with this. Granted, Jack this White, is just rather. a this Jack Wright, of stress. course, but um, that's just this uh, this section of the song because it does go into something a little bit interesting in the in the middle. First of all, we get uh, a solo, which as always is is pretty great here, and then we get what I'm almost inclined to say, say is kind of a B section. Where it, 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 he breaks down the whole track into almost silence. That is that B section is where I think this song really takes off. Because the A section, I was, I wasn't feeling it. You weren't feeling the whole rap. I was. I mean, it is. It was one or the other, but I didn't feel like they were meshing together very well. That there was a breakdown there. 
uh, the beat just seemed I think a he had the bit... attitude for it. The attitude, yes, but I don't think the beat was uh, and and the rhythm was really meshing well enough with his vocal work. Yeah. I couldn't disagree more. I think that it meshed pretty well and that it felt kind of natural. Like I didn't even consider this the rap issue... rock at all because I just I heard the way I heard him singing. I was like, oh well, he's Jack White. He's singing like this. My question mark it felt what, natural. For my him. question mark wasn't with what he was doing. It was more about the direction of the album at this point. Now nah, I'm not gonna you know start speculating on only the second track, but. But it was a pretty big jump in in uh, style. Eh, yeah, style. I'm not gonna say as broad as genre and whatnot because I still hear Jack White throughout this entire album. At the same point, it's um, eh, going from you know that one era to the other. I feel like the last track could have fallen in a like a 1969 kind of thing, but clearly this track doesn't. So again, it's sort of that picking from anywhere history that you want to that always leaves me a little bit curious but what i like about the middle breakdown area and then the second part of the song where it builds in a different way is it gives more character to the song and it goes into this movement that's just unique to itself in its moment but then still eventually brings itself back around to the beginning part of the song making it very circular and making it feel have this nice flow it's an interesting uh, transition, too, because there was sort of a dissonance at the end there, just before everything kind of cuts out, and then it fades into this chorus, which is sort of self-contained, because it is very different from the, the, the main verse of the song. It doesn't really have the same character, even, to it at all. And then that chorus just sort of rings out, and then suddenly, yeah, we're, we're back to the, to the main riff in the beginning. It is kind of this, this wraparound, but... This time, instead of rapping back into a new verse, we get the groove of the new verse, but over that, we get a two-violin swing duet. Now again, talk about... This time, I'm not going to say style shift. This is a genre shift, because this is like the kind of uh, soloing that you might get like back in the 30s. It was screeching. It was lamenting. Yet still kind of upbeat. One of my it favorite good moments is when like it slides it's... up to a vibrato, and then again, uh, Matt particularly like the moment where at the very very end of that entire phrase, it sort of slides down into a vibrato. Well, I think it was actually a double slide; it goes up and then down, and it, it's just this interesting way of bracketing this track because it's um well it's... not bracketing the track, but bracketing this section. It it. It really kind of does save it for me this time. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, again, this is not the same kind of thing as save. I wasn't hating this or anything. But it, it pulls me into that new place, that new place that I wanted as early as track one. That's really where I want to be. That's the new and bold direction, even though he did it by harking back to a time even earlier. It's besides the point. I think that the solo itself probably does more to cement the idea that the song is doing... Um, lyrically than anything else in the in in, in what it was what it was presenting because uh, the song lazaretto which i don't know if you've even said so far uh yes it, you take that symbology of what it is a, a a home for lepers a home for the unclean he's talking about it being born rotten being born as human garbage and the life that being human garbage is about it's a it is powerful once you read the words, well, like I mean, I, it, that that meaning that's my that's 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 the problem with the 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 hip hop orientation. I didn't feel that. See, I did. It was gone for me. I couldn't follow the words well enough 
with that heavy beat to really get that feeling. The violin did it more it, with that and the chorus than anything else in the song. That's an Yet interesting the, observation. The verses themselves are really deep. And even God herself has fewer plans than me. First, I love the references, God is a woman. But she never helps me out with my scams for free. Though she grabs a stick and she points at, at me, when I say nothing, I say everything. First of all, he's using a lot of symbology. Uh, not symbology, symbolism, symbolism. That, honestly, I like. I like symbolism. We've talked about this before. I like changing things up with words. Well, I like the, the powerfulness of the line... If uh, when I say nothing, I say everything. It's the fact that silence speaks louder than words, kind of a thing. But I mean, even the even, like my favorite lyric is actually the first two lines of the song because it's the way he sings it. And I know that you didn't really get it from the track, but I totally did. Uh, my veins are blue and connected, and every single bone in my brain, every single bone in my brain is electric. You know, it's just the, the kind of fluidity. There are of no this. bones and brains. Right. But it's just this fluidity of the, the lyrics that I really like and this idea, you know, but, but I dig ditches like the best of them and then a little bit of Spanish and then jumps into the verse that John was talking about. I just, I think that I really did get a sense of what the song was about from the lyrics. It just took more than one listen. I will admit that. On a first listen, I didn't really pick it up because I was more focused on the music, but after a second listen, I focused well, I on the lyrics and I got it. That was my experience with most of these tracks, uh, perhaps with the exception of the first, where, you know, everything is, it's pretty is straightforward, very on the nose. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, especially in that rap rock style, uh, and actually Jack White's lyrical lyrical spin period i think he has a tendency to kind of cloud everything a little bit i don't think he expects oh. you to get everything right away no kidding i mean some of the words that he chooses for these songs uh can either be taken extremely deep or extremely shallow like he didn't know what he was doing it's hard to tell the difference sometimes um well, we've made illusions based on the intelligence of the artist or what we assume the intelligence of the artist is like in this case i would safely say they're likely on purpose in his case. Oh, for sure. But at the same time, uh, this track, even though we're only at track two here, has a tendency to almost go for the for the gizzard with with the overall theme here, which, um, I mean, obviously you have a pretty good sense of just based on the title of the, uh, of the album, and now we have our title track, the concept that, uh, that, that leper colonies and whatnot, they're shunned and everything, and then all of a sudden here, he's sort of... I suppose it's sort of a claim. I want to particularly hone in. You mentioned God is 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 sort of stated as a one woman here has fewer plans than me, but she never helps me out with my scams for free. And it's really important line I think for this album because it it goes to the idea of entitlement. That that this entire track is a sort of flaunting, not necessarily what you have that is better than other people but flaunting what you have that is the same as everyone else it's an interesting way of stating that you are just like everyone else but you're going to but you feel state you... it really really strongly which is is it, that's an oxymoron right. i mean you can't possibly state it in a in a in a over emphatic way if it's not any more than what your neighbor has it merely is just a statement then well, right. Well, self-entitlement, I mean, you even see as early as the first track we discussed, this guy that is singing about how he has these three women, and, you know, he's entitled to all these things from these the, the, these partners because he's got these three women, but he can't talk about it because then he may not have them anymore. Exactly, but see, that was tongue-in-cheek. 
right. in that particular case, he wasn't really saying that, oh, well, this is not really... No, you of know. course. <laughs> but in this particular case, he he's saying that he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. He's saying it right up front. It's kind of humility that he puts in here really early on in the album. Yeah. Uh, and again, the fact that this is titled Lazaretto, or Lazaret- Lazaretto, is, um, you know, off of the whole leper colony and thing, that lepr- lepers were shunned for... Thousands not of years, just, not just leper for being, colony for being lesser. Not not just leper colony, but a, a place to put a place those, to put the sick, those who develop Id- illnesses in society. Like if you have an outbreak of smallpox, you would put them all in a lazarado. Okay, not just lepers, Lazaret. but it's it's those that are sick in society. Right, but of course it's it's people who are yeah. deemed lesser. No, not deemed lesser, just the cancer of society. I look at it more that way. Well, that's still no, deemed no, lesser. No, less. not, 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 okay, words wrong. Those who are introducing sickness into society. Not those necessarily that are lesser, but those that have just become sick in society. Okay, I see and the this point, is sort of a I mean, I, I, I got you. That's a quarantine. Exactly. Kind of that's actually yes. the perfect word for it. A quarantine. But, like, in almost every single one of these instances, especially in an old-timey notion of, you know, oh, someone's crazy or that, that, that woman's crazy, it, it's a, she's hysterical. She's got hysteria, you know. It, it's a kind of, like, they saw it as a fundamental flaw. But John's phrasing actually will make more of a point to how this fits. This word and this song fits the overarching theme by the way he was describing it. All right. I, I was seeing it from a different angle toward the theme, actually. Okay. Well, we'll get into that more. Um... Let's move on to our next track, Temporary Ground. Um, this is the first song where I don't think I have a complaint. So this song for me, the thing I really liked, I mean that stands above it the most, is the the vocal work in this is particularly great because Jack is no longer singing alone. He has a female vocalist singing with him. For the life of me, I couldn't figure out which female vocalist it was because there are several female backing vocalists on this album and I did not want to attribute it to the wrong one. But... The choruses are sang male and female in tandem, uh, Jack White and this female vocalist. Not at first. Each chorus gets repeated twice, and that's one of the best parts of the vocal work because the first one is the purity of the female vocalist with only piano accents on it, and that may be the most moving part of the whole song. Well, let's get the obvious out of the way here. First of all, you're getting a much more folk sound here. This is another pretty heavy genre shift. Not even folk. Um, I would even I would attribute. Country you know, rock. yeah, it goes it goes country much rock. even toward country. It's true. First of all, we do have the violin here again. It's funny we had the violin at the very very end of the previous track, and now here it's present from the beginning. Uh, but the character of the violin is very different. You don't have a swing style here. It's much more open and pastoral almost. Uh, and the violin is paired with a guitar just at first then the drums step in just to you know pick it up a bit and you get those violin slides in the background i think that's really where we uh, get the country twang because we just associate those slides so much with country those slides end up getting accented on uh the end of phrasing to do a good job of adding to the emotion of it too this song i think because it's structurally or not just structurally, just instrumentally more of a simplistic song than the previous two tracks. I think that's also where I'm connecting more on it because it doesn't feel like it's trying as hard to accomplish the same thing, yet I see it accomplishing more. Well, I, I see it accomplishing more because, well, I think, you know, there's always that abrasive quality that you get to to, to tracks that are, that are just 
out there, you know, if you're going for a rap rock thing, every the previous track was intended to to be uh, ripe with attitude. Yes. yes. You know, and abrasive. Right. But in this track, it's a much more introverted look at things, or introspective at least. On a floating lily island, moving over slowly sideways, rested temper and the creatures spending all of their days. I mean, this is just this is a lot more poetic too. When you when you withdraw from that from that over attitude, that just excess of attitude, then it kind of lets him breathe a little more. And so far, all we've had is attitude front to back in this album. And uh, well, granted, just the first two tracks, of course. Here in the third track, we are breathing, and it's 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 a really really nice respite. Right. Well, and also I think what really supports this song so strongly is its beautiful lyrics. I mean, for me, the chorus is my favorite part of the song. Moving without motion, screaming without sound, across an open ocean, flying there on temporary ground. I was going to get there because that's um that's where I want to talk about the melody here. Uh but I want do want to start with the verses because the verses just in the way they're being sung, have a very matter-of-fact way of ending these these notions. I'll, I'll just uh, read the second verse. Praying for the floor to buckle down below their belts, crashing into yet another drifting continental shelf. And this is an it's, example... It's, it's a matter-of-factual phrase. I mean, even just the concept of that, drifting into another, conti- another continental shelf. I mean, this is... This is just the state of who we are and what we do and our 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 purpose and our our entire experience as human beings. Very matter of fact, very kind of bleak almost. And the concept of temporary ground that this is only like a life that we're borrowing also aids to that as well. It it shows the almost ridiculousness of of um, entitlement. Of, let's say, the previous two tracks. Well, right, and this idea of... <laughs> and that's what's kind of cool about and, it. And this idea of entitlement, and that, like, what does it matter? None of this really matters, because we're only here for a brief time. Right. So that's where I want to move into the choruses. Wait, the wait, choruses, wait, wait, I want to talk, I want to talk about, about those the lyrical work, because this is something... I don't know the name of it, but it's uh, something that I've always loved, and i got to point this out, where you don't finish statements, where you actually go and choose the end word of one statement to begin your direct next statement in a lyric. It's an incredible way to weave unusual lyrics together to really paint some uh, provocative pictures. Well, I think this is actually something I was about to, to note, come to think of it, in the choruses. And that was the melody there in, 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 in tandem with the, with the lyrics. How I noted it was very expansive and yet kind of concise. Because the melody here for the whole chorus it spans about four measures, although it's comprised of these little shorter phrases. That might be what you're talking about here: moving without motion, screaming without sound, across an open ocean, and then the, the crescendo here really binds that melody across the measure, lying there on temporary ground. I mean, each phrase it, it's so meek, and yet it bridges so effortlessly with its neighbor. Oddly enough, that that's what made this song my favorite so far, because it felt like there was more of a soul behind this. Yeah, granted, of course, I understand the, the artistic reason for the first two tracks being so attitude-driven and having all this craziness going around, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, liked this, uh, I liked this premise a lot better. Well, I think also this premise wouldn't have been as powerful without the first two songs. I I wouldn't even I wouldn't say that I believe this song could stand up on its own. Just no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the album arc, as far as the theme goes, I think that these two songs really 
add to this? I mean, the reality is we, we can't know because we heard it the way we heard it. Um, but I will agree wholeheartedly that the song is one of the more, at this point, the, one of the most emotional songs so far. It just, it, it, it really conveys it through the, through the, the melody and through the lyrics. And that chorus, I think, is what really resonates with me the most, personally. Well, that's almost a, a, a non-sequitur. You can consider that, of course, the softer track is going to be the most emotional. So it's not even a matter of, oh, yeah, this, this, th- believe it or not, this is really my m- most emotional. I mean, uh, next to the first two tracks, who, who would argue otherwise? Right. Well, it's also, this is more of the uh, Jack White provocative esoteric lyrics I wanted. Because he does this. He likes this. He likes wordplay. Yeah, so let's really look into that. I mean, apart from just the, the melodic um, uh, expanse of those lyrics, moving without motion and screaming without sound. I mean, this is, it's kind of satirical oxymorons or negative reinforcement or just being silly by saying something is the opposite of what it is. But the way it's sung and the way it's presented gets rid of most of, if not all, of that satire. It really does make it fresh and new. Yeah, and I'll actually, what you said, negative reinforcement might actually by be saying, a good way well, of. Because uh, it's not saying, an oxymoron. Because you can move with, you can have, you can move without motion, and you can scream without sound. Yes, but only as illusions. You truly can't actually technically move without motion. Try it. It's not something you can do. You, you can can't move. You can be moved emotionally without motion. That's why it's an illusion. Yeah. Screaming without sound. You can scream in your own like, head. Yeah, internalizing. But screaming itself is making a loud noise. This is I why mean, I call this an introverted track. It's, it's, uh, it is oxymoronic. That's exactly what it is. By saying something is the opposite of what it is. Uh, this is something that gets played up later tracks as well. It, it's something I like about him. This he is knows, where we get a little bit. Phrase. Well, this is where we get a little bit of almost self-reflection. This idea and this it, it is a very internal and introverted track. Another thing, I think one of my favorite things about this track is come to think of it, when the female vocalist steps in to 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 cite the chorus, and then we also have him step in to cite the chorus. It feels like they're singing a duet separately. Yeah. Like they're in two separate rooms, just sort of experiencing the same exact thing together, but not together. Yeah, over a great they're distance. Not, they don't feel like, like, like an item at this, or, or, or even like friends. They feel like complete strangers when they're singing this duet. It's eerie. I think that's because of the additional reinforcement of having the female vocalist sing it so simply with just a piano by herself that first time. I think it does a good job of actually isolating the voices. That that helps, but it's also just her delivery. Her deliver. I mean, they both sound deadened. They're in unison. They actually are in unison, but yeah, they don't. They're not trying to complement each other. It just so happens they're in the same key, or in complementary keys. Yeah, I mean, it just so happens that they're in the same song. <laughs> That's the whole concept <laughs> behind this, is that it is everyone's experience, is to is to have this, this sense of loneliness. Fi- finding, to be flying through the air Finding on this commonality yes, on your temp- temporary ground. Yes. This coincidental common ground. Yeah, that's why I said the concept of sort of just borrowing this life, you know. Yeah. You gotta give it back. Can't take it with you. 
And we get to a- another interesting song. Would You Fight For My Love? Track four. This song, it had phases, might be a way to put it. Well, let's just start with the... The, the, the opener. The intro. The, the intro has this great buildup that the way it's performed adds a drama to the song right at the beginning. You have a very reverberating bass. That was uh, what was immediately grabbing, um, especially following the previous track. And then uh, the drum step in there, slow but steady, very fluid. I mean, you can kind of groove to, groove to the, those drums. A lot of triplets going on in there, very interesting. Um, but the, the bass is kind of hard to, uh, to, to steer away from. And yet, it does steer away from it. The whole track just kind of gives way to a vocal voice and string duet, which, which uh, provides a riff that kind of ends sort of abruptly. And I, I'm going to leave that at, at a question mark, the, the exact question mark that it is for the moment, because... Uh, Why? That, that, that's what you're talking about. These are the phases that this track is moving through. It's so almost, then we'll go through the it, verse. The, the, the individual elements of the previous phase are there to some extent. The borrow from the melody, the bar, borrow from the rhythms or the harmony, they won't take everything, but they kind of just are restating one part or two parts of those three with different instruments and it, it gives it because there's actual pauses and that's that's the thing that that does in fact bother me there's actual pauses so it feels like the song keeps restarting it keeps uh, uh just going back to its beginning and trying something completely different i don't know how to take it but it, it kind of creates a jumbled mess for me well i'm gonna speak to that in, in a minute but uh that'll be the next time it occurs First, let's go to the verse here. The verse clearly has more of a pickup, and the melody here was just so apparent, I actually thought this was a single. I really, really did. Because the melody... First thing you asked, yeah. I mean, the melody, it, it, it screams that kind of catchiness. That for the first time, there's really not much else going on in, in, uh, in a track on this album. Very, very thin. Even thinner, believe it or not, than the last track. Granted, you said it has a very dramatic intro, but as of this verse... Very simple. It's all it's all melody. The backdrop is very light. The melody carries everything here. And then we go into the chorus. Now the chorus, the riff returns this time, the riff from the beginning, but this time with a little bit more meaning, in my opinion. This uh this time it actually has some context. It actually functions as more of an anthem uh than its sudden cameo in the intro really did. Because that was before we even had a premise, and I think that's why I, I I chose to left, leave the beginning as a question mark because it didn't really have an effect on me at that point. This time, it does. And it's a very simple recurring motif, this sort of one, two, three, four, two, three, one, seven, one, that just goes on and on and on. And it's just below the, uh, the actual chorus, which is actually kind of doubled. Jack White sings along with that riff. So you have the the riff, and then you have his voice, his melody is the riff at the same time. But it feels unconstrained. It feels like he's sort of swaying in and out of the notes here. Because as the singer, as the subject, sort of the, the soul of this melody, it, the melody itself can't remain rigid. So I particularly like when the phrase ends, uh, when he sort of should fall in one. Instead, he jumps up, and he throws his voice up to the, up to the three. I was really impressed by his vocals at that particular moment. It does get extremely interesting. But here's the whole thing. Right after that. Yeah. Then it just 
pulls out and all of a sudden we restart again we get that same kind of it, it's jerking us around a little bit it's almost as if there was like four separate ideas using the same sort of melody to me that chorus together. was easily the height yes and and yet it it restarted itself as if to present the 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 uh the conclusion of this track, not even as a conclusion, just as uh, as a whole another section, as if it was going to build to yet another climax. But the difference is, when it comes to the second chorus, the second chorus, as I recall, it, it really is not even that related to the first chorus. It actually just separate. It, has... it breaks up the melody into this very steady, kind of rigid uh, triplets, and they're they're not. They don't have the same soul. They don't have his vocals with that sort of swaying in and out like I described in the first. It's it's kind of an anticlimax. And that actually speaks to what the story of the song was. During the... The verses were all about this man pining for a woman, while the choruses were sort of him t- trying to take control or trying to say almost to be... Mm. Not so, obnoxious about it, but just forceful about so, how she should love him. So, no. He, I think you're wording it wrong, but I understand what you're going for, and I was actually going to mention this, too. So, yeah, the start and stop nature of the song supports this feeling that the the lead, the voice in this song, loves someone. But the person he loves feels that he has to prove his love to her. And in the fir- first part of the song, it's really him trying to find out why why should i have to prove that i love you you should just accept that i love you not even why it it ends up just being pining but but then in the second half of the song it's almost like he's been broken and he's just kind of talking about why you know where this has gone and what has happened and i think that's why there's a start and stop and it restarts because it's almost like same story different perspective same person the fact that he's in a different mental place now because he's not happy and he still has she still has this idea that she wants him to prove his love to her but i think this was actually a really powerful um this was powerful on the lyrical front uh not just because of that theme which is which is pretty obvious even if you just look at the title but again it's all about symbolism here you use the sun to erase the past as if the new day is supposed to come around and then all of a sudden she's forgotten all of all of what she did to him the previous day all of the way she made him feel the previous and day it just by... he, she keeps trucking along oblivious to what he experiences here but don't forget the next part but you only think but you think it only raises for you exactly that's even further cementing the conceited nature of what she she's is she's not only oblivious but she's conceited and here's the whole thing. That that first verse ends with, Nobody noticed I was down on the rug. I'm getting better at becoming a ghost. Real sweet, very self-deprecating. But that first chorus goes right into, I know you want more, but would you fight for my love? And I know I've hurt you before, but can you ignore my love? You're walking out my back door looking back for my love. She, he's saying that she can't help. Bit. She can't get away from it. I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out early. This is another song about entitlement. Well, and also, by that verse you just read, it the blame is not just on her anymore. Because he just sang about how, you know, I it's, know it's I've a, hurt you, but 
would you fight for my love? I see you walking out that door looking back. Would you fight for my love? This idea that he's not perfect either and that he's no, made No, I've spun around next, on this song. I definitely think next, this is about two-way entitlement. As yeah. most, of, most of the tracks in this album are about two-way entitlement. And the fact and, that and, they're and both think goes, they're It goes entitled. back into a verse that is once again about how she has to and has been growing as a person so they can be together. And so there I am, caretaker of sin to your abandoned and malignant heart. Real powerful. Very much, very, very strong wording there. Yet ends with another chorus of, I want you to fight for my love. He's turning it on his head. That is a very powerful, very, very nice way of putting a duality into it. The issue is, musically, that duality kind of hurts the overall flow of the song to me. That, that back and forth of the verses and choruses musical orientation makes it hard to follow along. Makes it so that, yeah, it's getting the point across of this sort of start and stop, back and forth nature of what just this one person's feeling. Yeah, great. Accomplishes that. But accomplishes in such a way that I... I lose interest. That's a see. That's a loose uh, artistic justification for me. I'm, I'm that's definitely what I'm not. Saying. Yeah, I'm not that's sure that's going to really defend. I don't that know if it's an artistic justification. I mean, for me personally, I just don't get as dis- disparately uh, jarred by it as you guys are. I'm on board with it, and when it happens, I don't think I'm I'd, invested. I wouldn't be jarred by it if it wasn't for the fact that the that the second chorus was just a little bit weaker in comparison. Now again artistic justification of course he's kind of downtrodden at this point i suppose he should feel kind of deadened like in the middle he had a little bit more passion there he was willing to fight and then all of a sudden in the end it's i want just, you to fight for my love yeah. i want you to fight for for my love like, i'm tired it's of fighting sort of... i'm kind of throwing this back in you throwing the question in your face you know so i do understand that... it. i really do it's the pauses too I can't get over the the pauses that are in there. This is We've not... talked about the use of silence in this, in other places. In here, there are some uses of silence I don't get and don't like. I'm also calling it. This is not a first listen experience here. You're not picking this up on the first listen. Even if you're you're singing along with the lyrics, I guarantee you this is probably not coming to you the first time. You simply you experience it more musically first, and I, I think that's true for mostly everyone. Even though I know some people who are immediately attuned to the lyrics, um, the musical. On the musical front, that's really what you're getting first. And that, that, that cutout, I think, could perhaps... Uh, some people might want this groove to start up again, but I, I, in my opinion, they're going to want more second time around. That's just, I mean, that's just blatant showmanship. But, eh, it's art. <laughs> uh, um, on the one hand, I think he got what he was going for. On the other hand... I'm not super happy with what he got. Yeah, I think he got what he's going for, and I kind of like where it went. Um, moving on to track five, our instrumental track of the album. We've gone through a few albums lately that all seem to have instrumental tracks. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, and we have one here in High Ball Stepper. I'm glad of it. <laughs> yes, this instrumental track was unique, one of the more unique tracks on the record, and I think it's because it's where Jack White really let loose at what he's good at, which is playing music. But at the same time, it's very chaotic and overuses a soundbite that does make it grating. But I think it's grating intentionally. But again, that brings us back to art versus music. That's like three butts right there. Yeah. 
I mean, th- this song can go in circles. That's the thing. I love a good instrumental. I really, really do. And I, I, I mean, Jack White is a prime candidate uh, to get a pretty awesome one from. But uh, just talk about the beginning here. You're getting kind of a, I want to almost call it sort of a southern rock intro. It's just rock. At this point, I think we're back to the core here. It's a flat-up rock intro accompanied by this wailing um that's really really enjoyable to the bloody ears you're going to have <laughs> wailing well the wailing you can't listen to this one too loud i tried it it actually did hurt a little the wailing though on its own it's wasn't okay so sensitive. bad um it was the constant repetition of the wailing. that's where that's the problem comes yeah. in yes. that's exactly the main great it sprinkled a little more and less constant might have been a lot more enjoyable because I see where the accent was coming from. The idea to kind of accent an emotional point in the song by having these wailings. The problem is they come and go and repeat so much that it really does impede the rest, other parts of the song. And, but, um, and but, yet, well, the other parts of the song, I mean, are, are arguably, pff, I, I can't go so far as to say integral, but they, they have potential, I suppose. Like, there's this moment where he goes, almost right after that, he goes into this kind of playful piano gibberish. <laughs> That's about as concise as I can really get. It's interesting. It really is interesting. But it is so incredibly divorced from the previous. It's, it is it is jaunty, and this is a very jaunty track here, uh, here and there. But then, you know, he goes right back to the rock, a more rock-driven side, and then that, there's a moment where that completely unravels Almost like the production work has tra- stepped in and transformed the guitar into a sitar. I remember this one moment where it, it it kind of just falls apart at the end, and you hear these little slides like the kind you would get on a sitar. And then, all of a sudden, it's back to the intro. So, eh, it's really hard to kind of pin down the direction of this song at the there's, moment. There's also a high level of familiarity. Blah, word. Hard. In, in each of the sections of this track, I mean, I they weren't directly drawn from other songs out there. I just feel like if I spent a little bit of time, I could easily place them. Like, this would have been a throwback to this artist. This would have been a throwback to that artist. They really didn't feel like they were unique. And I think that was also because... They were kind of built. They were kind of separate from each other. There was no build from one to the next to the next, and because there wasn't a build, there was no expansion. There was there was no time really. I feel like he was making it his own. I feel like he was just jamming and practicing at times, practicing on what he knew. Yeah, like the timer's on. All right, quick, go to the next thing. Yeah, the timer's uh, on. Let's, let's play a little bit of this. I have a theory. It didn't to matter that, if you were in the middle of your phrase. But now. I have a theory for that. So the song is called Highball Stepper. Highball is a type of drinking glass. This song sounds very drunk. <laughs> it does. It's very all over the place, kind of unpredictable, a little surprising. I think that it was intentional Artistic for a theme. Artistic justification well, stepping in. Well, part of, partly that, and also, you know, you think about people who are entitled. Drunks are entitled people. To be loud and I mean, you, you look at a belligerent want. drunk, they think they deserve the world. And if you try and shush them or quiet them or tidy them up, they get belligerent. At more the most so. extreme, at the more extreme cases, obviously not all. Well, see, I don't like think this. it's very, it's very difficult to to equate m- most of these tracks with entitlement. Although I do think that that one leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, it's no it's weaker than some of John's metaphors. Yeah, well, that's true. It's an instrumental. It's weaker though. than some of them. 
And you do get, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna completely hate this track, because especially once we step into the, uh, into the guitar solo after that, after, heavy, you know. Heavy distortion in that guitar solo. Heavy distortion, which, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of screeching going on, it makes it a little bit unbearable at times, but at the same time, I was, See, I, I was grooving. I, I never found it unbearable. Bearable. I think that, that screeching, that roughness, almost scraping noise that it made, added to the emotion no, of you're the right. song. If there's a sound that's more unbearable, it really is the sound from the intro, I think, to me. And that's the the repetition that you hear, that really high-pitched wail. But uh, you're right. No, the guitar solo, I don't mind a little bit of distortion in my guitar. I'm not a prude. <laughs> I mean, that's 30 years of... of uh, of rock would probably teach you to enjoy that kind of thing but it was good ideas divided by nothing to link them together the intro had a riff that was kind of propagated over and over and over again but that riff that that tempo that piece that harmony anything any any word you want to use to describe it was just not present in the rest of the 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 parts that that were kind of good but those parts were like kind of not really used in any other parts of the song it, I was feeling very disappointed. Yeah, it's one of those things. I don't think the artistic justification is going to justify it. I don't know. It's I, I really like when this stuff is integrated. I love concepts. I really, really do. And it, there's always a lot of points that I that I attribute to a concept like that. I think you're right. I really do. Yeah, it, obviously, it's called Highball Stepper. It probably is. Just this, this, this drunken exploration at the guitar. And a drunken musician... <laughs> doing his thing is always uh entertaining to a fault i suppose you could say because there's always that moment where you should probably just put the instrument down and maybe go to sleep and i feel like i kind of got that a little bit here i mean it's nice to sort of present that notion here and maybe you're not off with the whole entitlement thing because i can recall that uh, plenty of times in which I was a little bit inebriated and there's just, I want to play the piano, I want to play the piano, I, I gotta play the piano, give me a piano, I gotta play. And it, it was never good. It was never, like, I mean, you know, I've got chops, but not then. <laughs> Definitely not then. And it's not that this is either bad or whatever, but it's about integration. Integration doesn't, it doesn't really hold up as a piece. It holds up as an art piece, and that's, that's a little separate from this album. Uh, but it is connected to the next track because I am mentioning that it's about Just a drunk. Wondering. Yeah. yeah the idea. The idea that. There you go on there. The the idea that you know you're having a drink and let's go to the bar. I don't know. You got pretty wasted last night. Oh, I just want one drink. Just one drink. No. One drink. No. No. You don't get this one. You don't get this one because the next song is Bob Dylan, and this previous song was not musically Bob Dylan. Oh, stop. That has nothing to do with anything. We've linked for less. You've linked for less. And I always get called out on it, so I'm calling you out on it. Whatever. And it doesn't sound just like... And it doesn't just sound like Bob Dylan. It sounds like a lot of other artists that are all friends of Bob Dylan. It was a southern rock to the T. Yes, absolutely. And I would agree. But that doesn't change what the lyrics are about and what the song is about. It just changes the style in which it's created in. I actually thought this was a Bob Dylan cover. Which, to me, is an important factor out of that I can't rule out. Right, but I'm, it doesn't mean it's any less connected to the previous track in Outs- Namesake. It does. But, but just it, thematically. It's disconnected th- thematically. Musically. Musically. Musically, yes. musically, thematically, fine. Lyrically, thematically, I don't know. There's no lyrics in the previous track. Right, so you can't know. 
It's annoying when you're on the other side of it, isn't it? I, I, I'm sorry for ever being this belligerent. Uh, but anyway, anyway so we're, just we're, one drink. I guess what they... So this is, yes, this Steve is right, though. This is a very predictable, southern rock-sounding song. It's very straightforward. There are no surprises with this one. It kind of goes exactly where you expect it to. And the lyrics are the same way, you know, even from the very first verse. You drink water, I drink gasoline. One of us is happy, one of us is mean. I love you, honey, why don't you love me? I love you, honey. Why don't you love me? Once again, it's really that back to the same exact thing. Yeah, that yeah we get the repetition, which I do like. This is one of the things that I like. That extra reinforcement to ideas. It it, it helps it, also not just in reinforcing ideas, but it helps to uh, to convey mulling, which is always why I enjoy it. I mean, if you're going to have an, an introverted, introspective song where you're all up in your own head, then you're you're bound to ruminate. In which case, yeah, there's going to be a lot of repetition. It's, it's inherent to rumination. That's just the way it works. And, it, and he sings about in this song this, that how just one drink will bring him closer to X, Y, and Z. So, which is the mentality of a drunk for sure. Regardless of connecting it to the previous track, just the idea that that's clearly what the song is about is looking through the filtered lens of alcohol. And not just from his perspective. Uh, it can actually... The, the choruses could almost be taken from the f- other person he's singing about. Just run, drink, it gets me closer. It could be her drinking. Or another him. He could Just be with a buddy. Just run, drink, it rolls you over. It could be, yeah, sometimes I gotta loosen you up instead of you loosening me up. Or me drinking to make myself feel better and you're drinking to make yourself fall in love with me i mean there's a couple different ways you could take it well it's i feel not, like just like it doesn't have it has just taking the, the line that you're the stanza that you're reading from is almost like like a, a very concise look at at your entire lifespan with this girl here just yeah. one drink gets me closer that's the drink that that brought you together just one drink it rolls you over well i don't think we have to read too close into that and then then I start to think you're growing colder. All of a sudden, they're already a loveless marriage. The well, older yeah. and older I am. Well, the idea that it gets me closer, yes. obviously, is In alluding to... In such few words of right. whole life. Right, well, right. The idea that it gets me closer is alluding to sex and getting closer. It rolls you over. The <clears> fact that you're not disinterested and moving on, you know, and then, you know, I start to think you're growing colder, which is more and less, more or less forcing the line before it. And then, yeah, older and older I am is this fact that, you know, this life... In just that's probably the longest lifespan we've had in such few words in a song that I can think of. Yeah, no, it's a different kind of talent here because initially when I was looking at this track, I wasn't like head over heels with these lyrics, especially not in the same way as we get earlier. We're not getting like, you know, we're not, we're not getting heaps of eloquence here, but it's a different kind of structure, especially if you're borrowing from like the Bob Dylan-esque uh, vein. Then. You're gonna be going down to a more matter of fact sort of thing. You're gonna, you're gonna be very to, straightforward. You're gonna be straightforward. You can try to explain things in a very, very concise manner, and this this does exactly that. And also, sort of a, eh, I don't want to say tongue in cheek. Nah, yeah, it's kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, but do you really think that's the that's the as far as this goes? It's just an exploration of uh, of his life through uh, the lens of alcohol. Well, I think it's tongue. It, the fact is, it's tongue in cheek in the same way that a drunk is tongue in cheek, but maybe other people don't think he's being as funny as he thinks he is. I think the bulk of this story is actually he's not the one drinking it; she is. There's too many references. Uh, it's it's 
it's the whole idea of just one sin and then you show me. You bust your lip on wine, Spodioti. <laughs> I think you needed to rhyme there. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I think, and, and the whole idea, it's 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 both. Well, yeah, I think it's both sides. It's just like the forth, last, yeah, the, just like would you fight for, would you fight for my love? This in the same way is it's both sides of that relationship. But unlike, would you fight for my love? This was to me a lot more palpable because it was a lot easier to follow. And I see, think. I thought this was a lot less palpable. Not a lot. I thought this was less palpable because it was easy to follow, and I was. Not bored per se because it wasn't. I was still entertained, but nah, it was, you it was pretty it straightforward. I mean, from a musical front, I am a little bored with this track. I really am. Um, I like, I, I like, really, I guess it's one saving grace is the, that turn of phrase with the lyric. Well, not turn of phrase, but just that matter of. of Turning the lyrics, of changing it up. Of bracketing something so broad as life in, in, in such few words, which is something that only this genre can do, I think. That's a fair assessment, I think. I think that's a, more or less a great way to wrap up. It's a reason this, for choosing the yeah. genre. What else could you, could you... I mean, again, we're la- I'm, I'm personally lacking some musical connectivity on this album yeah. up till now, but theme-wise, solid. Yeah, see, I'm connecting both musically, lyrically, and theme-wise, which is why I'm speaking so highly of it. But I can understand where you're missing step musically. It's not so unbelievable. I just don't have the same problems you do. Emotionally, it's disparate, but it also has to do with the with where he's coming from right now. He's coming from a stance where he's kind of caught in, in as a sort of middleman. He kind of sees all these things going on around him. Sometimes it's relationship troubles. Sometimes it's just various issues with entitlement. Sometimes it's his own personal entitlement. Who is right? Who was wrong? These are some questions that sometimes you just need to pull back and really analyze because it's not so simple as it is in the as face value. I think that's. what we have going so far I think that'll take us into track 7 Alone in My Home so this is a song where Jack really shows his knowledge of doing something unique with a little with music which he made a career out of with the White Stripes the pairing that he does in this song both instrumentally and vocally really sells this track. It's one of my favorite parts about this track because even though the lyrics are well harmonized and sung sweetly, it's still got this air of a depressive nature. John had come up with a name for it. Depressing go lucky. Yeah. He is singing kind of kind of upliftingly. Yes. Kind of it's it's, it's, it's happy go lucky. Yeah, but it's such a not happy-go-lucky theme that he's working on here. And the, hap- it, it, the, the pairing is the piano and his vocals. That is the strongest part of these verses. And it's a beautiful setup for the imagery that he's building. This light that shines on me tonight turns on when you wander through my door. You know, That's great. a hell of a way to start a song. It brings uh, things to mind also. You know, this light, this little light of mine kind of thing. Like, how but, happy-go-lucky could you get? But it's that piano drop-off. It's the fact in the choruses, no piano. No piano. I love that. I love, even though the piano is so beautiful, the fact that it completely leaves. Beyond that. And that that hope is gone, that beauty is gone, just really does a beautiful job of, even though he's kind of still upbeat about it, 
It's extremely depressing. Well, beyond that, there's even other moments in this track where where the piano will actually play something so blatantly out of tune, and I'm talking just like a single note here, just a single crash of notes, where it's just like, eh, that wasn't right. Almost as if to kind of foreshadow that same exact thing. Right. Well, I mean, the, the lyric work gets even more depressing later with the line... The ghosts that visit me the most drop by because they know they can find me here. The fact that he's so lonely that he's practically a ghost, and that's why ghosts come to find him. There's a lot of lyrical connectivity here, because this is almost almost word for word the kind of stuff that we got a couple tracks ago. Um, oh, what was it? I'm, be- I'm getting better at becoming a ghost, you yeah. know, back in, uh, in track four, Would You Fight For My Love. I mean, it's this is a... It's almost a plain narrative, where at first I was seeing this as a, as a sort of uh, disparate list of various issues with, with, um, uh, with people, with relationships, with entitlement and whatnot. This is kind of, it's his, it's his personal story for a while, for quite a while in this album. Yeah, it's showing him growing and possibly even falling apart. And in this song, the idea that, you know, this sense of entitlement either led him or led the character however you're framing it to this place where you feel almost alone because when you have this kind of sense of entitlement and you expect everything you can end up with nothing i would even go so far as he's feeling entitled to be this depressing i would say how do you mean just the way it ends all alone in my home alone in my home nobody Nobody can can touch me me. (laughs) nobody can touch me that's true this idea that he wants to be alone because he's entitled to be it I'm becoming a ghost becoming a ghost so nobody can know me yeah it's not even he wants this creeping depression to become I'm also gonna throw something else out here that we haven't really mentioned yet but we're, 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 we're straying pretty far from the uh the real core of this album which is of course the fact that he wrote these when he was 19 years old and so far what i'm seeing you know there's not necessarily a lot of connectivity outright between entitlement and you know wanting to be alone and being uh and being isolated and being hurt so far these are just separate things that you might expect from a very angsty teenager yeah these things are that also pulls it together it both pulls it together in terms of what we know about the album, the fact. Yes. Well, yes. Some people just like being miserable. I mean, this is a very Holden Caulfield kind of thing right here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from the way Steve said it, I don't think he actually likes Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I detest it. <laughs> a topic for another I love, time. I love the sister. Um, but with this discussion of entitlement versus, you know, just a sense of being alone and being angsty, it does bring us to our track of the namesake. Track eight is called entitlement um and this is a straight up folk track um it has it like all the tracks he does bring in elements of other things but this this song feels very folk uh, another steve, one that felt very dylan wasn't it yeah was well a, steve uh, also actually compared it to painless parker because it does have that very story of the people kind of a sound this is almost a protest song it almost is it's not quite because of its content because the only way it's a protest song is because of the satire. Yes, it's less pro- it's less protest and more observational. It's 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 a song about essentially how you know 
not the, one side or the other is entitled to anything, but both sides think they're entitled to everything. This is why it can't possibly be a protest song. This is an anti-protest song and everything, because the whole concept of... This, this devalues the concept of sides, which I absolutely love. And I think there should be more of this in the media today, but considering that, that so many uh, artists are so keen to take a side that, that they don't explore the gray. They think that, that their opinion is, is, is God's sense. And ob- is, this just shatters that notion from the ground up it just it even invokes the concept of god here the uh in a time when everybody feels entitled why can't i feel entitled too somebody took away my god-given right i guess god must have given it to you yeah i guess god must have slipped it to you that's Yet- that's that's a fascinating notion it's also a straight up indictment it claims that someone else stepped in there to say uh, 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 you're not entitled to that i am and but, in many but, cases, politics alike and throughout society, this is clearly the grounds upon which people argue. And it, it's... Which is groundless. It's not one person. It's everybody. Everybody who feels that they are entitled is saying this same thing. And that's, I mean, that's really supported by the final verse of the whole song. Um, I guess nobody on earth is entitled. Not mothers, not children, not kings. Not one single person on God's golden shore is entitled to one single thing. We don't deserve a single damn thing. I love Your that. Emphasis, I love that. Your emphasis was somewhat dramatic. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because oh, no, the, no. the verse is rightful, rightfully dramatic. And there is something, the there is something that, that I, I have to harp on, though. What is that? While... Alone in my home was so endearing because of the simplicity of his presentation. Here, I think the real lack of the expansion of the instruments kind of hurt it. Lack of, well... You know, you know, I'm going to agree with you only on the grounds that I did have to... Go, this was another one of those second listen kind of things. Gotta go back, gotta read. You know, if you have access to the lyrics, find them online. Or if you bought the album, great. You have in the book jacket, ideally. But they're... You gotta read it out. I don't think this is the kind of thing that you're just gonna pick up straight up because at this point, I don't know if sometimes <sighs> this has to do with the folk the folk genre period is that typically the lyrics are a lot thinner in traditional sixties folk, much less syllables per minute, you know, just to give you time to really soak up the meaning. This is not so much that. It's a little bit more dense. I mean, actually, if you just look at this block of text here, he crams a lot into this into this yeah. very simplistic track. But it makes it so that you kind of just zone in and go along with the flow because eh, you don't really got time to, to pick up every single little thing. So, you know, you tend to just gloss over it. And this is not the kind of thing that I want to be glossed over. I want people to really pick up this message, which is why I'm glad that you uh, emphasize that final line, because that really is the core of this. We don't deserve a single damn thing. Well, it's also the idea that people, like, people who think they deserve anything, rarely deserve anything. Like, you know, you work for what you get, not I did this, so I deserve that. Like, you're an asshole. (laughs) Essentially. Yeah, always. And, And so, like, you know, that's why I really like this track. I get what John's saying about the music being a little thin, and I understand that. I just feel, and I don't. It kind of depends on how far the, you you want to stretch the concept of an of an inalienable right. Right. You it's, know, 
it's, it's what we have in the Constitution. How much? How much more do you want to tack on to that? How much more are we entitled to? There's obviously got to be some core components there, but just what else? You know, how 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 stacked are we going to make that list before we're just a bunch of spoiled brats? And and it's it's that lack of really playing on the emphasis of the idea that 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 really does that decreases what this song means to me. And I get because that. the whole idea, the whole concept is great, and we argued about this a lot before the show, because I was seeing it as a more pretentious. But I honestly, I'll say this on air: I was wrong about it being very pretentious. It was being ironic in that way. It was being ironic in the it's idea. It's ironic for every other stanza except yes. the final. And it's that final stanza that really cements it together. Well, you know what? I see what you did there. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's that lack of emphasis through the instrumentation that weakens it for me. And I get that, and I would never take that away from you, because essentially at that point it's opinion-based. But I just don't agree. I feel like the powerful message is enough. I'm taking a John stance, which John isn't taking, which is ironic, I guess. Well, no. I know what stance you're taking, but sometimes I still like a word to ring out that and, makes and, me think. And I get that, but for me... This it's, totally has that going it does, for it. But what, Not until the end. But what I really get... No, no, get out of here. No. Like, you'd have to be... I mean, alright, granted I said it's not a first listen kind of thing, but if you're reading this, you gotta be really blind not to see this. Especially uh, two standards from the, from the last. I can't bring myself to take without penance, or atonements, or sweat from my brow. Though the world may be spoiled and getting worse every day... Don't they feel like they're cheated somehow? I feel like I've been cheated somehow. This is, he's coming to this realization. The, yeah. the There's an it, evolution the in this The path of song. it is so apparent. All I'm trying to say is, John, regardless of how you feel about it being weak musically, I feel like, for me, the song more than makes up for it in the lyrics and the message. It doesn't have to be the case for anybody else, but for me, the, I think this song is great based on those things. Regardless I, of I'm, where I it's I guess weak. I'm taking a Steve point of view on this one, but saying. I wanted the music to mirror that. All right. Well, I can't really. That's, I can't go against the music because the music I, I I can't deny is is unmemorable. Yeah, that's so you're my, right. That's 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 what would have made it the best song on the album. Well, it looks like we all just switched roles on this one because, yeah, I mean, when it came to this, I don't often find messages that I I find so groundbreaking that they've never been been, been preached before in uh, in in. Uh, music media but you know this is kind of original I really don't see this a lot I'm so satisfied that it has been said by by an artist that I am willing to overlook uh, the, the music in this department it is all about how that one element happens to overshadow the, the rest if 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 people hone in on that one thing I think this will still be a a, a massive contribution to to the world this song, of course, is followed by, I say of course, I guess, because, you know, the track list is determined. <laughs> track nine is the Black Bat Licorice. I say it like that because it's actually, the Black Bat together makes, a makes a little different. A yeah. little bit. But, um, so this song, I'm glad this followed Entitlement, because Entitlement was a heavy track lyrically. And this one's more, we'll throw around a word we like to throw around a lot when we have these kind of songs, jaunty. This is a very groovy, funky, jaunty, fun track. Like <laughs> Funky fun. How many, uh, how many funky funs were in there? Fun. Was there a couple just one, songs? just funky fun. Right. It was jaunty, groove, funky fun, enjoyable. I was just writing words at that point. But it's, just to be clear, it's, get, get one out. It's, but it's a song that really, I think in 
how it's sung, how it's played, and what is sung together come together to make this kind of enjoyable track that's still Enjoyable, kind of jaunty, fun. That's, <laughs> that's, still, going with this. that's still kind of about entitlement, but it's also just about this very unique narrative to the song. It's and a very think... different take, and I think that's really where my 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 interest is with this album is that when he takes unique lyrical takes on the same notion, because we we yeah, we've already got alone different times, and I, I'm gonna a few times, and I'm gonna go flat out to say that just one drink and alone in my home is a little bit redundant. I, I think the themes of those songs and the way in which it was presented was a little bit redundant. I didn't really didn't need them both from that from those two angles because the two angles frankly weren't that different. I write one he's drunk and then the next one he's uh, alone in his home. Depressing. But it's, it's the same thought process leads you to the same place. This is way out of left field in order to go toward the same notion. <laughs> it's hard to even d- describe a premise for the song because lyrics can be so out there. Uh, I'll just read verse 1. Yeah, she's built built for speed like a black castrum Dolores. Good for the needy like Nietzsche, Freud, and Horace. But I'm skin, flint, broke, making no money, making jokes. But baby, I won't choke with you. Let's begin with this. Um, the Black, the black Castrum, Castrum Dolores. Dolores. You were uh, kind enough to look this up for us, John. This in... It took me a while to decipher it, because even Wikipedia is a little oblique on the subject. It is the trappings and decorations for famous old people. And I'm talking like 17th century kings. Like the crests, the vases, the shields, the swords, the statues, the all the fixins. One of those things where like the second you know what it is, then you know what it means. And it becomes all the more ridiculous. Yeah, she's built for speed like a black castrum Dolores. The kind of thing that is meant to sort of, what, propel you into the afterlife as if you're really gonna have to go, you know, for speed at that particular time? No, you're not going anywhere. So it, it it's about as pointless as pointless could get the concept you know that whole egyptian concept like you have to take all of your all of your stuff with you you need to really go in style what? it means nothing the, the the phrase you can't take it with you challenges all of that so the the, the statement is essentially um is this it, it's it's an oxymoron good for the needy like nietzsche freud and horace okay I know two of those three offhand. I'm not sure who Horace is exactly. But Nietzsche and Freud are two of the most oblique people you can ever read about. I... (laughs) That's that's actually one of the meanest compliments I've ever heard. She's Um, good like that. She's good like Nietzsche. Well... (laughs) She's good like Freud. I don't know. Everyone is always a little bit up in arms about Nietzsche. You ever notice that? Nietzsche's one of those things you actually probably get a lot of good stuff from at the same time. There's always those those those, those roads with him. The roads that you just don't want to go down. Well, yeah, because there was a lot of morally wrong things that both of those men did that were bizarre and twisted yeah. and demented. There's also and a lot there's also a lot of good that they did, a lot of good that they contributed. But yes, like But they one, did it to the detriment of other people's lives and that's where the negativity comes in. Yeah, I mean, well, the the favorite thing to indict against uh Freud is um is penis envy. I mean, most people agree today that that's uh that that's a psychological bull. 
and oh, Malaki and, and other words like that. And I, I, I'm pretty sure Nietzsche was in love with his sister. I don't know. Yeah, we go down different routes with those. So, <laughs> yeah, all right. It's not a very good comparison here. Uh, you want to move into any of these other crazy things before we start tying this together? I think because th- this is just going to be one list after another. I think there's no reason to really list the lyrics. They can look it up. I think that the best part about this is how. He wraps all of this ridiculousness into this idea that this person, woman, man, whoever, but this person, I don't know if he mentions... Oh, he does say her. It is a woman. This woman is is this black bat licorice that's terrible for him, and he spits it out. But then he starts eating it again. This idea that he goes back to this thing that is obviously terrible for him and causes these misjudgments, which causes this ridiculous oxymoron this comparison and it's a later where lyrically he starts like debasing himself but from such a high pedestal that he feels like uh, it's almost like he's presenting himself as this god stepping down amongst the mortals woman need to know i play dumb like colombo who is the exact opposite of dumb and get my feelings hurt and move to new york like i'm dumbo like he's really just being a jerk at this point he's kind of don't you want to lose the part of your brain that has opinions he's being a jerk he really is just being a jerk to this woman i think it's it's sort of like just retaliatory at this point i mean yeah it's a little jerkish at the same time it's justified here and there i mean don't you want to lose the part of the brain that has opinions it sounds like he's definitely taking an indignant tone it's he feels self-justified well no one should ever feel too self-justified that's true but he feels so self-justified because maybe he feels he's entitled to something from this relationship and that very well could be it he obviously thinks he's the better of the two right and there's nothing but what i like about this song is there's nothing saying he is he could be the worst but it's from his perspective so he's saying he's the best but it doesn't really actually say that um which is why i like it because it gives that sense of entitlement because he's saying a lot without saying anything or no saying a lot that doesn't really mean anything it's that uh i guess it's that line i really hold it honing in on that that don't you want to lose the part of my brain that has opinions i mean opinions i suppose tend to be the uh the pitfall of many relationships so you know it's not hard to believe that that could go down poorly regardless of whatever we, he's saying we don't know we don't know if he's a jerk we don't know if 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 maybe that was uh justified or not and those opinions were were, were grounded this is all conjecture but yeah it, it's kind of just that 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 base level that um simple fact that he does feel entitled to something and whether he's <laughs> whether he's justifiably entitled or not it doesn't really change the fact that he feels he's entitled so it's kind of like this is the wraparound for this album in which he has committed his own flaw there his is own flaw that there he's... is that line now state the same damn thing with a violin that line <laughs> towards the end where he's like all right guys yeah, now do that. it and it goes into a little bit of a little bit of a solo with it i mean it's he's he's demanding he's yeah. demanding um, definitely embittered, but entitled. Going, I think. going so far as to be demanding about something, and demanding, being demanding is in part of entitlement. All right, you. All right, here, here's a line because I don't know if 100 percent I'm being sold on this, but I was fairly sold on your your analysis of 
I want to cut out my tongue and let you hold on to it for me, because without my skull to amplify my sounds, it might get boring. It's most... It's, it's, uh, the fact that she wants him to say what she wants him to say. And he's giving her his tongue so she can speak for him. Which further goes into the whole thing of whatever she wants him to say is merely just the mindless gruntings of and, and aping of what her opinions are. Bingo. Alright, so that's why I was initially feeling a little bit sympathetic toward his character. But yeah, it's, um... It, but again, he's thing. exaggerating... It's a, his attitude. I'm ripping out my tongue right. for and you also, so you can make me talk. He's, and, he's in a spell of being melodramatic. Right. Exactly. It, that's that, exactly. That's yeah. always... Melodrama is another thing that kills I feel like we should have a peewee place out. Word of the day, word of the day, melodrama. But yeah, well, that oh. melodrama automatically f- shows you that she might not be the only one at fault he's here. He's an unenlightened... Little, un unevolved crow magnum, nineteen year old boy. Yeah, that's actually that. Yeah, that's shows actually, here. No one you know, can throw a tantrum like a teenage. Even though I think person. we knew from like the title on or the first track on that this was going to be an indictment against um, against entitlement. I really am starting to, to swing back to that nineteen year old angst. I, I I see this as a. But also, it's it is a tongue in cheek. Uh, he's stepping into the character of a 19-year-old. He's making fun of but himself. But also, yeah. who's more entitled than a teenager? Poorly raised teenagers are incredibly entitled. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, they always think they're the only yeah. thing. The only thing worse well, than no, a but, poor... But I'm, I'm walking poor. down both lines, though. Also, if you're going down that Holden Caulfield thing, he had plenty of things to say about the rest of the world. Yeah. So, yeah, they're entitled. They believe they're entitled, but they also think that the rest of the world is just is just full of jerks and idiots yeah. you know it's all a really it's all about balance it's all about looking at both sides of the equation as you get older as you mature yeah. you learn about the gray areas and and he's this i think this coming album, from a vantage point where he only sees this from uh from a one-sided view this whole album should just be called holding caulfield at this point oh god no please no what oh you, um, uh, you not so, seen the parallels we're, so I'm going to move and on. I just said that? <laughs> yeah, no. But there you go. Anyway. <laughs> I'm restating what you're saying. All right, well, he, he pretty much goes for the for the cutthroat right here at the end. Uh, track 10. Oh, no, almost the end. Track 10. I, I think, think I, I found, found the, the culprit. culprit. So this song is, is another folk-sounding song. But this one is essentially what he was not saying in so many words. He's still kind of saying in not so many words. That he thinks he's found who's to blame for it all, for all of this. And that person looks a lot like you. But he's also saying that person could look a lot like me. You know, he's saying that there is a more gray area here. No, 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 no. He's saying specifically it's your fault. You're the reason for X, Y, Z. The female vocalist coming in there tries to explain and this one actually took a long time for us to agree on but the 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 chorus ish i guess it's a chorus or a bridge or just a repetition it's just a repetition birds of a feather may lay together but the uglier one is always under the gun now i i was really really against this line for a while but thinking of it it's that voice trying to show what's wrong with his idea it's that person saying, well, we always have to choose someone 
to rally against, to blame, to point the fingers to. Because that's exactly what this song is about. The, I think I found the culprit. Looks like you. It must be you. Ain't found nothing better yet. What's the matter with you? You got nothing to do? Yeah, it's this idea that because you look like you're to blame, you must be to blame. Mm-hmm. No proof, no no th- theory, even just you look like the problem, so you are the problem. And that's what the John's right. The repeated, repeated chorus of Birds of a Flood that may lay together is like, when you're not looking for the problem, we're all the same here. We're all friends. But the minute you're, you could be the problem, everyone rallies to make you so. It's kind of funny here when you think about track order because th- this is the this is the scenario. This is the the issue sort of plaguing the world as it does uh, that really precedes track eight entitlement. It really precedes that that notion. It's what led to that to that um, to that conclusion. The whole concept that I guess nobody on earth is entitled. We don't deserve a single damn thing. Because, I mean, th- there's just that A leads to B. If you have a bunch of really, really shitty people, <laughs> then obviously you're going to end up in a scenario where, where you need to kind of look at things objectively. Yes, but sometimes you don't realize the cause of those shitty people till you're past it and then look back. Sometimes the shittiness needs to be put in perspective. And I think that's why the song is following it. This idea that it's just noise at first, but then they get to this point where they go, oh no, wait, there is a sense to this. This is really what's happening. But that's there's... just it. The, the, the order of this album doesn't really follow that. It, yeah. actually, it actually, and maybe there's a very well reason for that, is the fact that even you could say it as many times as you want. You could say, we don't deserve a single damn thing. You could preach the moral first, the problem is still going to persist. Because then, I mean... It's almost it, it feels kind of painful at this point in the album that we're that we're still sort of looking at at, at people who just see black and white or just see uh, or who can't see the forest for the tree that kind of thing. Anyone who who wrongfully indicts someone indict is definitely the word of the day, not melodrama. But uh, that it just so so later on the album here. I mean the fact that that comes birds of a feather may lay together, but the uglier one is always under the gun. I mean it. it it's kind of the problem that you're you're tired of the fact that it's still that it's still around. You just wish the problem was it's dead. It's an already. exacerbation for yes, a problem that should be common sense and shouldn't even be a problem anymore. Yeah, and I mean, but that really lends to the next track too. Yeah, before we go on to that one, I do have a complaint about this track, a big complaint, and that is the hodgepodge yeah, nature musically. musically. This one is another one where it's just kind of weird. It might be the worst offender of that kind of just random nature. It, it was it was all over the place. I mean, I will admit with this song, because the lyrics, while they weren't terrible, they, they weren't as strong as other songs. It was short and sweet. So, the, but, the, the, but the lyrics weren't tight enough that I couldn't notice the musical flaws in this song. It just, it was a little repetitive. It was a little uh, predictable. No, that's the whole, it was scatterbrains in its predictability, though. It was just jumping styles of rock here, there, and everywhere. I, 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 there was no cohesion. I can maybe make an argument about the metaphor with the song style and the theme it's building and everything like that, but I'm not I'm not on this one. This one there's you 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 have no defining piece to fit the theme of the lyrics here. I I couldn't get over that. It boils down to the fact that I uh, the music. I mean, I was really looking more. I I think my experience with this album was just the fact that I was looking at at music first. 
had plenty to say about the music first, because, let's face it, the more interesting music was in the beginning part of the album. Mm-hmm. Now, we're just steeped in theme here. The second the theme realizes itself, I don't think the music needs to be as powerful at the same time. Yeah, I kind of wish it was, because it's, it's it again, just like the last track, it's unmemorable. I really can't, I, I can't recall much of a melody here, and even the melodies that I do remember are, again, more of those, those, uh, matter-of-fact kind of phrasing. It's very very flat deliveries. I think I found the culprit looks like you. It must be you. You know, it's just, it's it's steady, and it just repeats the same note over and over again. I'm not saying that's, that's a bad thing, because it really, really does lend to the theme, but, yeah, it pulls me away from from everything that I said up front, the beginning of this this review, and that was uh, the fact that, you know, the, the, the throwback to 70s rock was kind of a positive thing, but it seemed it really took a hard turn into folk after that, and it, it didn't always. One one really strong case was uh, the third track, um, uh, temporary temporary ground. ground. That was the strongest folk delivery because it just seemed so cohesive. There, you had the message, you had the music, and both just I didn't see one above the other. Here, it's a clear imbalance, but that takes us to the final track. Let's just see how this. Uh, measures up. So the the final track is called Want and Able. The, the last track talks of birds of a feather and this track starts with the squawking of birds, which is an on-the-nose transition, but still a linking transition on the less that I did enjoy. Um, and of, it, from the minute the song starts, it has this kind of final emotional feel. It feels like the end. The it feels like it's wrapping it up. That, that's actually the birds themselves. They're crows. Yeah. Which is a portent for death, which is a portent for battles over. It's it's a it's a finale. I mean, we call them a murder of crows for a reason. They yeah. pick over our dead. They, they clean up the battlefields. They, they are part of the ending. But what I really want to talk about here is where this folk comes back and actually really is stronger this time around. Even though it's in its simplicity, this fable-esque kind of parable that this song takes... Both my words. <laughs> ...really support the lyrics for this song. I mean, even with the what I thought was the very Susian opening, uh, opening verse, which, who is the who telling who what to do? Who is the who telling who what to do? Who is the who telling who what to do? Tell me who... Tell me who. Tell me who. Now, I would think that Seuss would be more inventive. Yes. Because he had uh, a much thicker thesaurus. It's an interesting way to start a song because it actually is the chorus. In this case, it's kind of taken a, a turn. Instead of going verse, chorus, verse, chorus, we're going chorus, verse, chorus, verse. Um, and the whole nature of the song, other than that, is actually very familiar. It's almost like a tried and true type of a setting you know exactly how it's going to proceed but it's the actual wordplay that really brings not just the message but the whole inventiveness of not just the song but the album together Just look at the exposition well want and abel were crossing the road want had a feeling there was something he was owed but abel broke it to him that there's a social code so walk straight down the middle now and do what we're told walk straight down the middle now and do what we're told it really does have a sing-songy vibe to it which actually kind of turned it around for me in this last track for one hand i mean for one thing that this is it's still it's still kind of flat 
but perhaps because it, it goes back to that tried and true uh, parable stanza structure, you know, where it repeats things and, and kind of, I mean, not that it didn't pe- repeat things before, but this is, it, it has more of a narrative to it. It has an exposition, it has a, it, it has, it has a rising action. I mean, the chorus here, once said that didn't feel so good to never be fulfilled. Forever stressed out and impatient, always saying just over the next hill, just over the next hill. I mean, he he doesn't even need uh, he doesn't even need a character to replace these two concepts. He doesn't need the Susian character to to, to define uh, their whole essence, which is just the people who want and the people who are able to achieve it. I mean, that's a really interesting duality, which I don't actually don't see in in any traditional parable. He's come up with an issue that is plaguing the country that I don't think has ever been broken down into a parable, and that's actually really fascinating to me. We don't get any new parables. And, uh... The presentation is so Aesop. Yeah. With just a personification. Instead of using fox and hare and what have you, animalistically, to represent certain neighbors, he goes out and names them. Freedom is able... If you are able, it is being free. Yet being wantful, being desiring, is to be cruel. Just so clear cut. It's being wanton. Wanton. (laughs) Well, it's also this idea that he was talking about entitlement and then that, like that first verse that Steve read, this fact that, you know, there is no left or right. We all have to behave ourselves and walk down the middle. (laughs) You know, this idea that you can't have an extreme point of view, or that all point of views are extreme point of views. But either way, it's it's adding to this, it's, it's attacking this problem in a unique light, and I think that's what really sells this track, but also the storytelling vibe of it really makes it feel like the final chapter of a book. And that's actually, it's a great way to end this album. Uh, is to it's a close it up with this kind of story, but there's two problems with that, and they're really just nitpicks. They have nothing to do with the music themselves. One, I'm I, while I love this actual song, this song I truly do love. It's not quite my favorite, but it's up there. I, I feel it's kind of easily my second favorite. It, it's kind of sad that it. I feel like this kind of needs to be completely spelled out for people listening to this album as a whole. Uh, but I hate you know it's it's a sadder thing that that uh, I don't think because we saw it we saw it I don't think ninety percent of people out there are even gonna get it. That's that's, that's what's even sad. sadder. That that's why it's sad. The other thing is it also kind of attacks it a little bit too far, because the only way we like we we innovate we expand what we are and who we are is by our desires is by trying to attain more. It's it's a little bit of a mixed message for me personally. You're right on one hand. I mean, it does really explain a little too far when you think about how much he breaks this down. Even after you think you already got the message at the very, very end. Now, want and able are two different things. One is desire and the other is means. He's talking to you like you're an infant at this point. But that's also, think about how some children's stories are no, written. No, no, of course. They're written is, like you're an idiot. This is Dick and Jane. This is right. Mother Goose. And that's intentional. And I think it's because also... He's essentially saying a lot of the people who don't really get it need us to sit down and do this with them. It's directed at those people, of not course, us. We don't have to argue. We don't at this point with Jack White. We don't have to argue that anything is not intentional here. Yeah. But it's 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 an interesting thing to note because 
he really... The, the same way I, I noted that in the last track, you know, why should that come after entitlement? Why should we throw back to the beginning? Well, clearly it's because people don't get it. <laughs> I mean, it, the flow of this album moves in such a way that you don't really see any progress being made. He, he assumes that there's no faith in humanity. That, that, that he's just... No, it's it's not that. It's, it's like not, he's like, got no faith in humanity. It's a little depressing taking it from that angle. But I don't think it's why him. you have that little interlude in the middle where you have two songs about depression, really more so than about... Uh, but again, I don't think it's him world. who has no faith in humanity. I think it's the singer has no faith in humanity. Whether that's actually Jack White or not... Oh, yeah, no, he's stepping... Seen. Yeah, yeah, we should really stop saying Jack White. It's He's stepping into a character for most of this album and just kind of... You know, and it's not to say that there's no personal parts here, but he's definitely stepping into a character to represent the extremes. And if this is really based off of his his very early work, he was an emo kid. <laughs> like, I, depending on how much he took from it, dude. Yeah, okay, I may have had thoughts like this when I was really depressed or really scatterbrains or drinking and having philosophical debates at 2 o'clock in the morning like you're stupid enough to do when you're in college. This but is, he wrote it all down. This is not this is not out of left field for me, to be honest. No, I I can remember when I was nineteen and these thoughts crossed my mind and yeah no. But he, he wrote it he, all down. He wrote it down, but we also don't know uh, to the extent that he wrote it all down. Who knows whether this entire song was realized? I could believe, for instance, coming from a nineteen-year-old, I could believe that just the line "Who is the who?" telling who what to do. That line, oh, that strikes me as a nineteen-year-old comment. Not 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 to to uh, a negative, not to a fault, because. It, it is concise in a way, and let's face it, teenagers can come up with, with sometimes very concise ways. But it's a I don't, sassy way of doing it. It is it's sassy. A, it's always sassy. It's a little sassy. snotty kind of a way to do it. Yeah. And I do view this final That whole, like, well, who's right anyway, you know? <laughs> you can't know anything, man. Yeah. But it's, this last song is, is finally the 19-year-old being told from somebody else. This is the song that I really feel like the narrator is stepping in and finally telling this character that we saw in the previous tracks to where he messed up. This is the blatant finale. This is where Mighty Casey has struck out kind of a deal. It is the end. It is that sad, depressing ending because you got to go and say, here's where you messed up. I like it for that because I'm, I'm a sadist. I like depressing endings. I like it when the bad guy wins sometimes or well, the good guy fought? loses. Have we, have we cited the, the really depressing ending here, the very last line? <laughs> After the one is desire and the other is the means, like I want to hold you and see you and feel you in my dreams, but that's not possible. Something simply will not let me. That 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 is the want and able there. I mean, he's equated it at this point to a, a relationship that he can't have. So he kind of brought it back to that depressing spell. Yes. Because that's just another way to see it. It's not always, you know, an, an attack against... Um, human nature sometimes well it it still is human nature but it's not in the broad it's in the personal sense too sometimes you just can't have everything you want and that's just the way life works i'll retract my previous i don't think it's depressing i think it's matter i think it's it's, no i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna retract i'm gonna retract my previous saying of this being the narrator this is the person actually understanding and gaining some measure of wisdom from that point of view, this is yeah, that's this a, is the final. This is an. Oh, I felt like re- this was the narrative was wholeheartedly a coming of age story to a point like the, an understanding, growing to an understanding. Yeah, this is this is the actual glimpse of wisdom. Yeah. You well, are not, not entitled, bam. 
done. All of a sudden, <laughs> oh, jeez, I've been a jerk my entire life. Let me realize and start to begin to fix that. All right, who's diving in? One of you guys got to go first. Because he's, he's pulling the... Uh, I picked it, I go Picked last. claws. Which we most almost always honor, so... Unless we're feeling cocky. I'll start. Um, it was one of the better thought-provoking albums we've actually reviewed. Uh, only because it explored a very interesting theme and did it in a variety of ways that we're not really accustomed to. Because it wasn't quite satire, it wasn't quite irony. It was too matter-of-factual, yet clouded for either of those two. Um, lyrically, Jack did a lot of really positive things uh, to provoke thought. That's why we have a two-hour discussion on this stuff. Because lyrically, he did a lot of provoking here. But musically, it's lacking for me. And it, that's a major factor in this. Because of the familiar nature of what he's presenting, because it almost all of it harken ba harkens back to a basis in classic rock, rock and roll, southern rock, older folk, older country, because so much of it is based off of that, I can't miss the familiarities where I feel like he kind of let me down. He didn't, he didn't quite extend it and add the flair I've come to know for all the work he's done in the White Stripes, in his solo career, in everything he's done. it's That's a major detractor from it. But still, I mean, it's got everything else. It's got so much else. Um, most of the tracks are really solid. Some of them are great. Some of them are downturns. But all in all, it's, it's a solid four-star album. A solid four. The heavy theme and the great theme work does a lot to make up for the, in some cases, the really actual subpar composition. I will go out and say that. There's some parts that are just, why'd you do that? But it's 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 got so much other core material that it keeps it at a solid four star. All right. This, I mean, there's a couple ways I could go with this. All right, I'm, I'm going to say... That on the front of artistic integrity, it, it, it is pure as all hell. I think this is a great concept, uh, easily in, our, in one of our top uh, uh, theme-wise, because of its originality. I mean, you know, when we reviewed the Swans album back in episode 96, not all too long ago, uh, we, we came across the problem where there was a... A theme that was really, really great. You know, you're talking about uh, human existentialism until you realize, good God, it's been done by everyone. Um, See, so I just couldn't give it the pass. But this is clearly not in the same league. I mean, this is, to put it in perspective, as if we haven't hammered this home enough, it is through the eyes, I think, of much of this is through the eyes of a 19-year-old, of... of someone who was more youthful kind of realizing all the ills of of society it's not always general sometimes it's personal and it just it compounds itself in in one way after another each each song is sort of a different uh a different lens into these various problems yes a lot of it is about entitlement and and uh, let's just really be straightforward with that 
the concept that I think most people today, many people today, because of what a lucky generation we are, what a lucky time we live in, and what a lucky country we have for our American listeners, probably exclusively, uh, we do have it pretty damn good. So it's it's only natural for when we're born just to consider that entitlement is, is just the way it works. I mean, it is written into our Constitution, like what I said before, about these inalienable human rights. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing, the fact that we've, we've, we've endowed ourselves with that. But I, I, I do think that um, at some point there, there will be some kind of limit to that because in our culture, mostly, we reward work. We, we idolize work, actually. We idolize all the values that can come from it. And here, an artist steps in not to say all the things that I should have, all the things that we should have. We should change this about the country. We should change this about the country, that about ourselves. And, and that other person in my life should change. This is what I seem to find in the vast majority of lyrical content out there uh, coming from a lot of musicians. And this is exactly the opposite here. This entire album just steps back and looks at the greys, almost as if to say, just stop. Stop before you attack the other person. Stop before you make all these sweeping indictments and just think. Because who is the who telling who what to do? Who are you to say that about me? Who am I to say that about you? I think if everyone just kind of paused and thought about that, we'd have a much richer understanding of each other. So, yeah, on that level, I would rate this a five and a heartbeat. But... Let's switch over to music. I don't want to be that guy who is overly harsh against the simple folk uh, backdrop of much of the latter half of this album. But I kind of got to go there because, let's face it, for me personally, I, I, I need a marriage of the two to really sink that message home with me. I'm really glad of what I got uh, in, in many areas of this album. In some cases, it really overshadows the music. Um, and in the beginning, the music was actually a lot more solid when it was a little more rock heavy. But then again, I tend to enjoy the lighter songs anyway. But in, even in those cases, you can always tell the uh, you can always tell the difference between a more tightly constructed lighter side track and the kind that only sound thin. And in those cases, there's really only two tracks for me, perhaps three, and that's um, Entitlement, Want and Able, and uh, Temporary Ground. Those tracks are beautiful. The rest could be seen as redundant or filler, even as, as uh, they do explore various sides. I want more on the musical front there. So, I, I gotta... Yeah, I gotta put it around the same ballpark, but for the for just the sheer genius of that theme, I think I'm I'm kicking it up to a four two five. Okay. Um I think for me, the thing that really resonates with this album is it's a unique perspective from a unique individual. I mean, you've seen if you've seen or read anything by Jack White, you know that he is not your average pop culture rock star. There are more levels to him. Um, and he really conveys that in this album. He came at us with something that none of us, I think, saw coming. And I think that the the thing about this album also is I connected emotionally with it on a level I haven't in a long time. It made me think and believe in something. 
and made me reaffirm my own beliefs in something where I stand in this world and what I'm looking for. And not a lot of bands make us do that. It's love and loss. And I'm a sucker for love songs. But this is the first album I can think of where we listen to. Where there isn't a blatant love song. There's a song about love and loss. But it's not an over, overly romanticized love and loss. And again, I have no problem with over-romanticized love. I am a hopeless romantic myself. But it was still kind of refreshing for an album composition to have a unique stance where it found this pretty standard through line and toyed with it a little bit, but mostly followed this sense of entitlement through the whole album. You know, you could argue the instrumental track didn't, but I mean, that's semantics at this point. Plus, you have my metaphor to back you up. Right. I did use the John metaphor. I outwardly said I'm playing favorites on this album anyway. And yeah. It, it, two, two very uh, impressive ends. So, I mean, as far as music and lyrics and everything else goes, we've said what there is to be said. Um, I agree that musically, there are moments where I'm a little bored. But it's not because it's bad. <laughs> There's no bad songs on this album. There are bad moments, maybe, but... But even that, it's like they might be bad due to personal taste and nothing else. Not lack of skill, talent, or, or musicality. Um, I, I just think that, I, you know, yeah, I like when he's erratic and kind of crazy and Jack White, Jack Whitey. You know, he does this thing with, with instruments that not a lot of other artists do. And there wasn't a lot of that on this record. It was in the first couple tracks and it, had, it popped up a little bit later. But he mostly fell into this folk or country groove. A little bit of 60s rock and I wanted more of the more extreme stuff like he did in Raconteurs or even in parts of The White Stripes but that's fine I can't judge him for other bands I have to judge him for him he's a talented musician who had a great message and brought to light something that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about or they talk about in juncture with other things but bringing up this sense of entitlement that we have in this country is something that I can't think of any other artist mentioning not recently anyway I, I'm even going to interject to say that I, I, I think um, when I really consider the the music on this album, you know, I've heard it almost all before in some sense. So that's just to let you know that that 425 rating for me is coming almost all from theme because it's just how powerful a theme I think it is. It's the kind of it's the kind of theme that I would suggest if uh, these kind of songs, if they were around in the late 60s, they would be in the annals of history alongside Pete Seeger, if not more so. And that's where I'll say, like, maybe the choice of music Maybe itself, it could have affected history as well. Maybe the music itself is actually an appropriate choice for the kind of pedestal he's setting up here. It's possible. But anyway, the point I'm trying yeah. to get to, though, is that I love this record. I'm a really big fan of Jack White, and it didn't disappoint. Um, it's not... You know, there are some albums that quality-wise people would argue, though I wouldn't. Others would argue were fives that weren't the same quality of musicianship that was here. But I also know what he's capable of. And I have to hold him to that a bit. It's an artist I know. I can't ignore his talent. And it fell a little short. So for me, I'm I'm kind of torn. You know, I, I don't think it's just a four. Because it's... It's not. It's it's just, it's more than that. The theme really hammers that home. But it's not a 4-5 because it, it doesn't have that next thing. If the music was a little bit more there, I would easily put it at a 4-5. He had a framework. You know, I mean, he had a, 
excuse me, he had a, a thematic framework, and then he threw music around it, it yeah. feels like. And yeah. it's not that that music was terribly bad, it's just, it's so apparent that it's just kind of there. So, for me, this, this album falls really short of a 4.5, because I really want it to hammer that home. So for me, it's a 4.4. If the music was there, I would have made it a 4.5 or even higher. But I don't want to penalize it too much toward the end because I, I think it's still an incredibly unique album. That's so, solid. So for me, it's 4.4. <laughs> I also want to note that uh, far be it for me to call... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm calling the theme genius, and I almost hate that I have to because I wish... Uh, just just like I experienced in toward the end of that album, I wish this was just a more common sense kind of thing around the world. I I, w- I yeah. wish more people just sort of would would sit, stop, think, you know, look at the grays, kind of analyze exactly what they are attacking and why they're attacking it. But I feel like so many, so often, people are just on these one track minds where it's just like ah, that's the way I've been taught, born and raised, and 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 influenced. So that's just how I have to think, and. Very rarely do people cross-reference themselves. I wish that wasn't the case, and I wish I didn't have to call this brilliant. Otherwise, then it would have been a very uh, sort of, yeah, well, don't tell us the obvious. I mean, I almost feel that way, but I I like having this reinforcement yeah. in, in, in media that can actually affect people, change minds. And I mean, decided. this could boost people's political notions. Who knows? It's just, this. Don't, it has a lot of power to it. Yeah, don't, don't just rally against the political powers, the social powers, or the economic powers because they have more power. Go after them because they're dirtbags, or don't go after them because they actually aren't. It's, if you're gonna be against something, make sure that you're actually being for something else that is worth being against something. Make sure that you're fighting for the right cause is essentially the most simple. Not against the wrong one. That's what it really boils down to. Do your homework. Yeah. (laughs) Be smart. Um, We're going to take a a pause now to bring you the interview I mentioned earlier with Mark Young of um, Head PE. I was really excited to talk to him because I was a high school fan of this band when they first came out to the scene uh, back in 94. But but we'll take you to that. And then... uh, after the interview, we'll come back to give you what's in store for next week. So take it away, me. Thank you for calling today. Thank you for agreeing to do the interview. Um, I appreciate it. I personally am a big fan of you guys. I remember when you came out with the first album broke, or your second album rather broke in 97. I heard it on the radio in high school, and it was like unlike anything I'd ever heard before because I hadn't really heard a lot of hip hop metal at the time and not definitely anything that heavy. And uh, you talk about the. The first album, the second album with Bartender, right, right. That's when I got hooked and then hooked and then went back and got the first album. But Bartender was like, back then was mind blowing for me in two thousand. All right, I hadn't I hadn't heard anything like that before, you know. That's good to hear. Definitely gave us a shot in the arm back then for a little while. That's for sure. Yeah, it was all over K Rock in New York when it first came out, and I would listen to radio all the time back then. Back when re- radio was the way to hear new music, unlike now where right. you, can, you have to look up everything. Yeah, I gave up radio when the number of commercials exceeded the number of songs. Right? That That uh, is, I think, what's going to eventually be the full downfall of radio and internet radio and podcasting is going to probably be the future because you can just download for free whatever the hell you want to listen to and not have to deal with commercials. I would think so. I would think so. Take it back to the music, which is really where it started. 
Yes. So um, let's let's start with a little bit about you. Um, so you're obviously the bass player for Head PE. Um, how long have you been playing bass since you're a kid? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up too. Because one of my friends I haven't heard of in since I was a kid sent me a picture from '92, a couple of days ago, and it was my very first jam with my only music buddy who played drums at the time. And we looked like a couple of dogs sitting there in, in his bedroom, but uh, that was when I first started. I got my first bass uh, Christmas of 1981. Wow. It only took, my, it only took me like 18 months to convince my parents it wasn't another fad. So they <laughs> finally got it, and I think at this point I proved that I, I'm doing it for the duration. Yeah, I'd say it's safe to say in 2014 that you've uh, stuck with it long enough to convince them it's a career. Yep, yeah, it's true. <laughs> And so um, you and um, you, only two of the band members are the original band members still. You have two newer members, um, but you've been in the band since the very beginning, since Head PE first started. Yes, I have. Yeah, I met Jared uh, when I first came to the country when I was looking for a band. And we had a band uh, for a couple of years before Head PE, and then I've been with him in the band ever since. Awesome. And uh, I got to hear the sample of the new record, Evolution. It sounds great. Um, I'm really digging it. Uh, my next question is, what what would you say is the newest thing you're bringing to this new record? What's different from the older records? Well, it kind of segues into the title, Evolution, mm -hmm. in a way. We've been playing music all our lives, and in our signed years, 20 years now, 18 years we've been signed, pretty much 20 years we've devoted every minute of the day to head PE since it started in 94 and we've explored every style like you like you're saying in high school you heard us mixing the hip-hop with the rock and we'd already been doing that for a few years we've gone to the punk phase we've mixed punk with hip-hop we spent a lot of time exploring dub and reggae and on this album i think after all the quote-unquote avant-garde albums we've released over the last few years this time, the writing style kind of went back to the roots of rock. You know, Jackson, our guitarist, is a phenomenal writer, and he's like a sponge when it comes to music. And he went back and studied old Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and all the greats that inspired us way back when. And then his, his writing then reflected that, but in his own way. You know, we, we play and drop tuning, we tune down the B, so everything's going to sound lower and more ominous anyway. But it was a certain homage paid to our roots in the writing of this record, and I think that's that reflects in the music too. Yeah, I, I can definitely say that I hear that as a as a fan of the music, because um, uh, "Broke" and um, the follow up in tw that came out in twenty two thousand and four were the two big influential albums for me. First, getting into heavier music, and. Um, I've I've loved all your records since, but those two were the ones that like I really latched onto, and it sounds like that new record is going kind of style, but taking it to a new. Oh, it's maybe I'm sure there's influences from those albums. They can't not be because that was us back then. Yes, but I but I think it, it's a it's it's very subtle where this album goes because it goes in both directions. It's a it's a glimpse into the future of where we're going, but it's also a glimpse into the past of where we came from. So it, it really traces our own personal evolution as musicians when we were kids, listening to those bands and then going through all our exploration and then coming back to that kind of classic rock sound that we started with. Awesome. And um, 
I know you mentioned influences before a bit uh, that Jackson has been pulling from for his writing. Do you have any bass greats that you identify with that really influence your bass playing? Well, I would have to say right up front, Geddy Lee is my favorite bass player, and it was jamming along to Rush Records is how I learned to play. Right. And also, uh, Iron Maiden at the time, you know, Steve is a phenomenal bass player, though I never really went down his style of playing. Later on, I really got into Flea, and I really got into Primus. I love what Les does, and I think he's just a, he's a consummate musician. He never stops working. So he's very much influenced me. Uh, and recently, I've been kind of going back to uh, bass players. I don't, I don't even know their names, like the Average White Band. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Scottish funk band that blew up in L.A. Oh, my God. That, that guy holds down the pocket so tightly, and his lines are so simple but so funky. And I don't even know the guy's name, but he rules. I, I really enjoy listening to him. There's a lot of reggae bass players in recent years. Like Jared, particularly, is a huge reggae fan, and and we've obviously taken more of a reggae direction in recent years, exploring that that sure. genre of music, which has taken me back to exploring reggae bass, which is fascinating to me, as I find they're not the typical shredders like we are in the rock world, trying to fit as many notes in the measure as you can. You know, they're about what they don't play. Space is very important to them. So I've learned that, and Jared schooled me a lot over the years. You know, pay attention. I can, when we listen to hip-hop, you know, the bass or the 808 will drop out, and it creates that kind of tension release that reggae does where the bass drops, and you're waiting for it to come back, and then it comes back. Uh, it just creates dynamics in the music. So I've been studying a lot of reggae bass to improve my own dynamics, because I've got it down to where I can play as many notes as I want. So now I have to relearn it, take my ego out of it, and learn when not to play. So I, I, pay, I pay a lot of attention now to the bass players that show me what not to do rather than the ones that show me how many notes I can play. Sure. Yeah. It, and I mean, of course, in, in Jared's singing style, it's always come across that he's got this reggae and hip hop influence, which, you know, obviously reflects the rest of the music, too, because you want to take it in directions where all of the sounds support each other and then go somewhere can even go somewhere completely different together um it's very it's very true that is very true and also as musicians we can tend to you know get off a little on showing off and playing a little more than we should and you tend to end up stepping on the toes of the singer which can be detrimental to the song true. so as an artist over the years it pay, I, I i'm learning to be more attentive to what's going around on around me and feed off that rather than just throw my notes out and expect them to fit in everywhere. So sure. I have, I've been trying to go through my own personal evolution as a bass player, as the band evolves through its own musical journey. Um, and uh, the next thing I wanted to ask you was, where do you draw a lot of your, I mean, we talked about your influences, but do you draw inspiration for your albums just from other music or do you write about things that happen? You know, do you help to write, you know, create a mood based on things that are going on in your life, on tour, at home, you know, where does your inspiration for writing music come from? Well, I would say that, that question would be much more applicable to Jared because Jared writes all the lyrics. Okay. So his lyrics are drawn from every aspect of his life, from personal things he's dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, into personal relationships, or politics that he's seeing in the world or a social cause that he wants to draw attention to. 
So whatever's going on in the world around us will definitely fuel what's coming out. For me personally, you know, I, I wouldn't say my bass playing is particularly inspired by what's going on or what's not going on in the world around me. If I'm in a good mood, I'll pick up my bass and just play for the joy of it. Right. Um, well, then I guess a, a better follow-up uh, question would be, um, not necessarily, you know, uh, what inspires you to write, but um, how does the the writing process work? So obviously, you know, you guys write the music and the lyrics. Does will will Jared come with a, a great set of lyrics and you guys kind of build music around it, or is it that you guys build up the music as a foundation and then he writes lyrics to go with that music? Well, in recent times, there's been generally two ways the music's been approached. On this new album, there's eight rock songs in a row, and then the reggae songs. Now, the reggae songs Jared had approached at home, working on his own ideas, his own musical ideas, and his own lyrical ideas and melodies, and constructed the blueprints of those songs at home. And then when we were on tour, to bear in mind, we live in all four corners of the country now, so rehearsal happens on stage 30 minutes before the first show of tour as we jam for soundcheck. That's the only, only time we get to play together. So over the course of the last couple of tours, Jared would show us his reggae ideas, and we'd jam them out as a band day after day till they evolved and became their own entities. And now the rock songs, on a similar tip, Jackson spends all his time at home just creating music of all kinds. That's, that's what he does all the hours. He's awake, and he came back after a long break with a whole slew of awesome songs that Jared kind of referred to as doom metal, a lot of dark, <laughs> blungy stuff. And we started jamming that day after day at Soundcheck 2 until we next had a break in tour and started recording it. And then I think Jared would, did all the vocals last and being the perfectionist, perfectionist that he is, some of them had three, four, five rewrites till he was happy with what, what he got put down. Cool. Um, it, it's interesting how the the fact that you guys are spread across the country now, you know, it is so is so easily manageable than it uh, probably more easily manageable than it was back in you know ninety seven or in a situation you know back then recording over, across the world is almost impossible without you know MP threes and computers at their advance. But now you guys probably can send each other stuff constantly. So it you know we've, having we've run. We've run the spectrum from the first album recorded in a, in a very expensive, I think back then it was like $1,300 a day farm recording studio up in Massachusetts. It had this huge sound stage that had been built for the, for the Rolling Stones back in the 70s. You know, in-house catering. Everything was just overly done. So much money thrown around. Then fast forward nine albums we had to today, we had the drums recorded at the Mushroomhead studio in uh, Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Jackson went into a studio somewhere near where he lives in Michigan and, and recorded guitars along to drum machine beats that were later on, later on synced up. I did my bass tracks at the beginning of this year. Half of them were done in a hotel room till we had to check out and go to the next show. The other half were done at the side of the stage running a line out of the back of my rig with my headphones jammed in my ears while Smile Empty Soul was sound checking. And so we were just taking any opportunity that we could to get these tracks laid down. Very punk rock and about as far away from the major label days as you could possibly get. 
Sure. Probably a lot more fun, a lot more fun doing it this way, I would say too. Well, yeah, it probably feels a lot more personal and much more your own too, doing it this way. You know, um, the idea of just picturing you sitting with the headphones in while another band sound checking, trying to get the tracks down. It's it's interesting that you can even do that now because even a decade ago, it was, you didn't have that kind of recording capability. And now I just heard, I was I was I forget what article I was reading where, but the least plug cables that actually have a recording device in them so you can just record as you're playing the show and just record the whole slew of bass lines really? guitar or guitarists while playing the show it won't pick up the vo vocals because it's the recorders in the jack but it'll record everything you're playing which i think is brilliant because then you can just record a ton of bass work from a live show pull it apart and do what you want with it which is kind of neat that's amazing and you know how long till we get the call like, hey, Mark Jackson, we've got these cardboard cutouts and some really clever guitar cables that are just pretending to be you guys. Yeah, on. right. Just put up the cardboard cutouts and then you can, you know, relax and just eat, 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 <laughs> eat and chill out while, you know, the cardboard characters play for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll be quite the same thing. No, I don't think so. And I think you'd miss the uh, the onstage fun, I'm sure. Um, do you do you enjoy touring? Do you like touring around with the guys? I imagine so. Oh, I do. I mean, touring is really in the blood after a while. We've been doing it so long that, you know, you come home and after a while I start to get a little bit restless. Um, but I also find you have to make the most of the tour. We're only on stage for an hour at night. So that leaves 23 hours of your life that you can either choose to waste or you can do whatever you want with it. Now, personally, for me, I'm not an American, so I came to this country with wide open eyes and I'm a permanent tourist. So I travel with a road bike and I log in 30 to 40 miles per day on show days, a little more on days off, but I just explore the country and that's what keeps me sane, really. It gives me a reason to, to go out there every day. That's awesome. So you say you're, you weren't born here. So where are you originally from? A place called Newcastle in England. That's known only really for beer. <laughs> well, used to, be, used to be used to be known for building ships and coal and a band called the Police. But I think now it's only known for Newcastle Brown Ale, which is a fantastic ale. But you know, I think people still remember the Police. You know, I mean, they don't play. They played together like two years ago for one night only, which I thought was bizarre. But, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. still around doing stuff here and there. Yeah, and I have a lot of respect for Sting. I actually read his autobiography a few years ago. It's a great story. Uh, but, you know, that name Sting always kind of sounded pretty tough when we were all kids and he was a lot older. And then I read in his autobiography, it's because he showed up to band practice in a striped black and yellow sweater. And the band leaders started calling him Sting because he looked like a bumblebee. And it stuck. <laughs> I thought it was a great, uh, completely unrock starish way to get a name. Right, which you then he then built into one of the biggest names in music Absolutely. and rock stardom, and and it's just uh, it's great showing you that dynamic on how you can really make of yourself whatever you want. Work for it because you know getting thrusted very, in a name that's so silly and then making it your own. Very true. Very true. Um, so the new album comes out on July 22nd. Um, do you have a particular track that's your favorite on the album, or is it one of those, you know, you can't pick, you love them all? I don't have a particular favorite. And for the, for the first time ever, I can honestly say that there's no track that I would even skip on this album right now. I've said it quite a few times at this point. I could walk on stage and play this album from 
song number one through song number 12 in that order and walk up, and I think we would have just done a top-class show. would have just rocked. Yeah, but right now, I think my, my favorite song would have to be One More Body. It's just a rocking song. It's our first single. It's a challenge to play. There's nothing easy about that song. It's just riff after riff and a lot of up-and-down dynamics. So that's going to push us live, and I think it's people are going to get hurt in the pit. So <laughs> I, I apologize in advance for that. Well, you know, they should be able to take care of themselves. If they're going to a head PA show in the first place. They should know what they're getting. Um, yes, they should. <laughs> um, my One of my personal favorites from the catalog was always Swan Dive. Coming up, yeah, a song like Swan Dive, because it talks about dealing with yourself and your emotions and when you're 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 having trouble as someone in high school yeah. who had a rough time that that was one of those songs that are like i could vent listening to that song and really get through so you know that happens to be one of my favorite of the discography do you have a, a favorite song to perform on stage in particular one that you just have a lot of fun with um this fire is quite fun to play because again yeah. it's a challenging song but i think at this point my favorite songs to play are the new ones. Well, that's yeah, like I said, that's one more body. No, no turning back is slamming too. The reggae ones because it gives us a chance. Like I don't know if you've heard any of the the reggae songs on this album. Like Nowhere to Go is a song we've been playing live now for several months, and we actually got to to rush into a studio for about a couple of hours towards the end of the tour a couple of months ago, and just jam everything out live, and. It was amazing. It sounded like we were this band in Jamaica sitting around a bong jamming, jamming a track, but we were really just rushing the sound check in Louisville, Kentucky. So that came out great. That's awesome. The fact that you guys can just sit down and, and in a hurry still make this awesome jam that feels authentic and that feels, you know, feels like of the air that you're trying to create with this reggae sound is, is really awesome. It's exciting to hear about that, and I'm sure it'll be great to hear on the record. And it's fun for us because it's a huge switch in dynamic. Like, obviously, you've heard One More Body, the new single, and then from that straight into a dub song. It's challenging to us, but it feels real. And it's something we, uh, it's something we really pull off well. And the contrast, the dynamics in our song from the, the metal to the punk to the dub, it's really a sweet thing. Well, sure. And, you know, as a band, I imagine playing the same kind of music over and over again. You know, you guys, I'm sure, fool around playing cover, you know, messing around with cover riffs and stuff that you've played that you were playing. Like you're saying that you love Getty Lee. So obviously you've played your fair share of Rush tracks. But being able to play something that's not even within any of the vein of what you're used to playing, something that's so uniquely different is great. And it also lends to the evolution of the band, the fact that you're evolving into this other sound. And playing with it and making it your own as well is, you know, it's a, it's an awesome step in keeping everything fresh and keeping fans into it, you know? It really, it really is like that. I mean, it keeps us on our toes as a band because we're already always moving forward. It keeps me on my toes personally, because if, for example, a few years ago, we got kind of interested in listening to a lot of Curtis Mayfield and kind of approaching some old school music like that. But that sent me back to getting on YouTube and on iTunes and buying music and starting to study bass players that I maybe never heard of or only given a cursory glance to in decades gone by. So that, that would make me go back to school for a short while studying this bass player then and the next bass player. That would increase my own musical knowledge along the way. Again, back to our own evolution. You can choose to evolve or just stay the same. And I think if we're going to do this our careers we have to evolve we don't really have a choice sure yeah that that totally makes sense 
speaking of which, so uh, one thing you mentioned a couple minutes ago is always intrigued me about swan dive. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess you kind of cleared something up about how you were going through maybe some tough times. So you could relate to that. Because we stopped playing that song after 2003, after the band changed lineup, and we moved away from the major labels and more into an independent world. And also Jared, who'd been in a different mindset at that time, back in 2001, whenever, didn't want to play that song now because the song really is about suicide. You know, right. taking a swan down into the asshole. And his whole mindset had changed. You know, he became a father and had a family. So suicide was the last thing on his mind and inspiring other people to even think about it is probably the last thing on his mind too. So it would kind of floor us every night we get, we'd be in the middle of the show, you know, we'd take a little break, and the swan dive chant would start. And it's like, why that song of all songs do people want to hear about suicide? So now we'll, we'll play it a lot of times now, but it's not, honestly, our hearts are not really into it because the message is not something that we're really trying to put out there. Sure. Well, I think for me, the reason I related to it in high school is not because I wanted to commit suicide, but because I struggled with thoughts of that kind of stuff and being able to kind of vent about it and sing about it kept me from doing it, kept me from wanting to do it. You know, it allowed me to get angry, rage and kind of vent and know that someone else was feeling the way I felt and was writing music to get it out. And I was listening to music to get it out. So for me, and I think a lot of the other fans, it's they relate to the song because they've been there and they like that this song exists. So they were able to keep themselves from having those dark thoughts and they were able to relate to someone who also also was. For sure. And I guess it would make people in that situation not feel so alone. I was like, shit, I'm not the only person going through this. Well, it's just like also like what what I loved about Blackout and that album and that song was, you know, the idea that all of these things that are messed up in the world make you want to scream till you black out this fact that you're frustrated and you can't do anything about it. Like, I think a lot of people identify with the anger and frustration that Jared had conveyed in his lyrics, especially in those earlier albums. Um, and even later, yeah. you know, I think people really like for me personally, I'm an emotional li- music listener. And I talked a lot about on my podcast how relating to an album emotionally is almost the most important thing for me. And it's because, you know, when I'm angry, you know, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't want to hurt myself. So an angry song lets me vent that rage without harming anyone or myself. You know, and I think a lot of people take comfort in songs that you can relate to and get those energies out. You know, just like uh, I'm sure Jared's written lyrics to get that energy out instead of keeping it inside. Oh, absolutely. I think as artists, you have to exercise those demons. Exorcise, not exercise. (laughs) Yes. That's for sure. And, you know, obviously I was around during the blackout days, too. There was a lot of pain expressed in those lyrics, and there was reasons for that. And it had to be processed out, I guess, to move on. Yeah. And I mean, and it sounds like, you know, Jared's at a place now where he's got other things and, and that's great. And I think that's one of the things I love about music personally is that everybody interprets it differently, but everyone can rely on it for what they need it, whether, whether it's just to enjoy themselves, to have fun or to vent or to move on or to feel, you know, it, it's a versatile medium that affects so many people differently. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about it, how fans react to, to music, how artists express themselves in music. I completely agree. It's one of those rare, beautiful things in the world, music, 
that it's both subjective and objective, I, yeah. I feel. It's very objective because it is what it is. It's created out of instruments using the, the fixed notes in the scale. But how it affects each person is very, very subjective. It can move one person to laughter. It can move another person to tears. Yeah. The, most, the amount of emotion that can be triggered by music is something special. Any type of art that can do that is something to be treasured, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, it's something we talk about when we review albums every week. It's like, you know, we say we think the artist is in this mindset, but ultimately we're mostly putting what we feel on it because we can't obviously know what the artist was going through. We're not that person. So we're kind of yeah. making an educated guess based on the tone of the music, the lyrics and whatever else. But honestly, we could be completely off. They could have been writing about X and it's actually about Y, you know? And and it, it is fascinating how, how it can be, go that way. Um, you had said earlier that you you spent a lot of time on tour and you only only play for about an hour or so when you're on stage. You like to fill the time with other stuff to obviously keep yourself busy. What what are your hobbies besides obviously playing bass or riding bike? Do you have anything that that you do to unwind, like watching movies, playing video games, that kind of a thing? None of the latter. I have. You know, I'm I'm a lot older probably than you and most people. So I've tried everything that's pretty much caught my attention over the years, but really it all distilled down to three things in my life. My three passions are yoga, music and nature. Mm. And I I practice my yoga every day, not just the physical class, but it's it's a lifestyle, it's an inner way of being, not just an outer way of being. Music is self explanatory, that is my job. But it also is my life. You know, I've been playing musical instruments since I was about six or seven. They picked me literally at my, when I was a kid in school in England, they picked certain people to be given musical tuition. That's how it started. So music is where it started and always comes back to, for me, if I'm in a bad mood or just bombed, I'll pick up my bass. And, you know, a few months later, that mood's totally shifted. And then lastly, nature. I mean, to be out in nature is, is my highest purpose day to day. I just want to be out in the forest here. I moved to where I live now so I can be in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's it's just good for the soul. It keeps me at peace. Sure. Yeah. So do you go camping as well and, you know, go out into the wilderness for long periods of time? Camping, backpacking, mountain biking, uh, even road biking in central Oregon. When you go out east in the high desert, you can you can be on a road and not see a car for 35 minutes. Wow! But backpacking, backpacking up in the volcanoes in, in the summertime is, oh man, it's like you're in heaven. I'm not gonna like it. Yeah, it sounds incredible. I mean, I, the the little bit of camping I've done in New York is upstate. There's some great campgrounds, and I've gone for a week or so. But you know, we don't we don't have volcanoes here, so definitely <laughs> no, an sight to see. New York has some uh, some great outdoors. So there's a, uh, some great cycling up around Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie itself is a bit of a, well, take it or leave it town, but there's some great outdoors around there. Syracuse, yeah. uh, even outside of Rochester. It's a lot of good stuff in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Manhattan, Manhattan's a, a, an exciting place to ride a bike. I think the first and so far last time I ever got hit by a car, a taxi obviously, was New York late at night. And, and I... I was drunk. It was after a show. I was riding back to a hotel after it was one of the broke shows when we were big and playing at Roseland or something. And riding back to my hotel, I'm used to California where everybody in the car is respectful of drive of cyclists because they don't want to get sued. And this cab just came up behind me and just pushed me out of the way. Totally bent my wheel and just turned me off riding in New York for quite some time. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, I see bike riders in New York because I work in Midtown. And so I walk around and see them and I give them a lot of credit because I wouldn't, I can barely handle driving in the city. So I can't even imagine being on a bike in the city because you have a lot less protection on a bike than in a car. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun, but it's exciting. It keeps you on your toes. And since I first started riding in New York, because I've been riding since probably 99, 2000, they now put in the bike trail that runs all around Manhattan Island. Yeah. That's that's a great place to ride. Um, so um, you guys, I'm sure. Ha- so you're not on tour now, but you guys are going on tour soon. Is that correct? Yeah, I fly out and meet up with the fellas on the fifth of July, and then we have a video shoot at the legendary Al Rosa in Columbus, Ohio, on on the following day, and then we begin a two week tour leading into the gathering. And then we go out in August till early September, co-headline and run with Power Man 5000. That's incredible. Those guys are great. I'm a fan of theirs too. They start coming out with albums around the same time as you guys, if I remember correctly, around the mid mid to late 90s. Um, well, we used to play shows with them back in the day. Uh, not too often, but we did have quite a few shows. Uh, and the guitarist, to be honest, I don't know if he's still in the band because I have yet to to look at that current lineup so i'm probably sound like a fool here but their guitarist back then was a friend of ours he played in a couple other local bands around huntington beach right about when we were first coming out and when corn had really set the scene there and they were moving on and we were kind of inheriting that so uh it'd be good to see the power man guys again it's been long enough yeah um they actually just put out a new record that i've been listening to a lot on a uh, spotify as well um and uh, I'm really digging it. I mean, I always like their sound too because they they're they're a band who has a special sound that they work towards with this kind of sci-fi metal that they've always played, and it's always been fantastic, you know. Um, yeah. So it's cool to hear that you guys are going on tour with them. Um, are you? I imagine you guys are coming to New York at some point. Yeah. Well, you, you just called me out. I just pulled up my itinerary. If we did have a New York show, and I was going to tell you, but no, I think we got Rochester and Poughkeepsie as well. Oh, okay. Well, when you guys are in New York again, um, I'll definitely have to come check you out. Um, I'm excited for the new album. Um, well, keep my number and drop me a line. I'll hook you up on the guest list. Oh, well, I appreciate that, uh, Mark. That's great. Um, yeah, uh, the one, I guess one of the final questions I just want to ask is, it's a little bit cliche, but I like to hear what artists say because, you know, as someone who tried playing instruments as a kid, but never really picked it up and took the more production side of it and is more interested in the mixing and the, the post stuff. Do you have any advice to aspiring musicians or even aspiring artists of any kind, you know, words of wisdom, something you would tell them, especially if they're struggling with the medium, you know, what your advice to them would be? Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm a walking cliche, so I can just give a cliched answer. Don't stop. Keep going, and then when you're older, teach your kids to do the same. There's nothing like music for for changing the direction of a kid's life. Yeah. No, and I even w- if you even if you suck at it, just keep going with it. It's fun. It's better than a video game, man. At least at least you're creating something. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that. Um... I think that music, however you use it, whether you're creating it or listening to it, is very important to development of any kind. And like, I have a young nephew and niece and who listen to a lot of music. Some kids show stuff and some actual pop music. And I'm trying to push them in the direction of classic rock and other stuff, too, because, you know, I, it, I think it's important that they hear all that kind of stuff, you know. I think so, too. 
and there's even been scientific studies that have proven that the brain is positively affected by playing a musical instrument, yeah. which makes simple sense, just the hand-eye coordination, you know, learning to use two hands on a keyboard or on a guitar neck takes a hell of a lot of concentration. And then by the time you get to the point where that's second nature and you're not thinking about it, that's happened because your whole brain has evolved to the point where it's taken in a whole new skill, a whole new skill set. So yeah. you're, you're growing every time you study an instrument. There's nothing like music. Yeah, and that's why it's so frustrating when I hear about another program at a school cutting the music funding or the arts funding. It's like you're cutting out the most important part of someone's development. You know, math and science are important, but so is the art. You need all of it. It's all part of development. And cutting those programs is just, it's mind-boggling to me how anyone could think that's a good idea, you know? Yes. And as a cynic, I would go out on a limb and say it's because education has not really been the prime purpose of the educational system in recent years. I don't think the goal is to bring out aware, awake, and advanced children anymore. Yeah, I know. I I probably agree. Because when I was growing up, the way we were taught and, and the way education was approached was even different than it is now. And I feel like they just, they're just they more concerned about cutting corners and, and not setting people up for the actual future and actual life, you know, and getting out there. Yeah, and also maybe a really sharp, smart, and aware youth will turn around and ask the powers of be, what the hell are you doing? You know, right now they uh, want, they'd rather have a dumb populace that doesn't want to ask questions. Yeah. Perhaps. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong there. <laughs> well, it's it's hard as you get older and see the things that come ahead of you or before you and not be cynical, you know. You grow up and you 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 look back on what you had and you think that you had it good and or that the system is not as good as it used to be kind of a thing. So it's hard sometimes to not be cynical, especially when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I even get cynical to myself, you know, when I've learned oh, wait a minute, that's how it really works. And I look back on 20 years of me taking something else for granted and not even questioning it. Yeah, um, and that's that's never easy either. So um, I, I want to thank you again, Mark, for, for talking to me. Um, it's been a pleasure as a fan and as, you know, someone who enjoys music as much as I do. Um, so the album is called Evolution. It comes out on July 22nd. The tour is starting very soon. And um, yep. and I'm excited to see if you come to New York. Um, it'd be a, a pleasure to meet you and the guys. But um, good luck on your tour with the new album. I'm going to tell the world about it because I'm excited for it myself. Um, I appreciate you taking this time. Um, this will be when when it goes up on my podcast. I'll go ahead and tweet at you guys so you can see the link and share it around and listen to it. And uh, I'm hoping to write up the article within the next couple of days. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, it'll be online. Sounds good, Matt. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time, and thanks for all your support. Thanks, Mark. Take care. You have a great night. See you at the show, my friend. Yes. Bye. Take care. I want to thank Mark again for agreeing to do the interview. I want to thank Shauna, the representative from Pavement, um, the record label who helped me organize this. I want to thank Scott Volweiler, who's one of the, the creators of Broken Records magazine, who hooked me up with this interview. Um, I wouldn't have even had access to Mark or to Shauna without you. Um, thank you all very much. It was wonderful talking to him. I wish we had had, you know, chatted a bit longer, but I, you know, I kind of wanted to stick to the point. Um, 
and honestly, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous. You know, this is someone that I grew, grew up listening to, so it was exciting for me. But I want I'm very thankful to have done the interview and uh, you know, we're hoping to bring you more interviews in the future. Maybe we'll make it a thing. Uh, who knows? Steve, do you have a spam for us this week? Spam? I, I I've gone two weeks without spam. I, I just I I can't wait. Can you guys you can't wait, right? I'm super excited. Okay. Hello. This weekend is nice for me. As this moment, I am reading this impressive educational post here at my home. Which just so happens to be this place. And that who is, is this right, by? That uh, this is right here. This is by uh, Vapor Cigarettes. Nice. In, in Macon, of which one is uh, in Macon, my hand? Macon, Georgia. We can actually come after them this time. It, it, it actually is funny because they away. speak like the Krang from the new Ninja Turtles cartoon. That thing that is over there, that thing that we must go, those things. We must defeat that thing which has been defeated by us. Or something. Or anyway. Whatever. I'm going to take that it's away from well this, though. I like that, that, that phrase. This weekend is nice for me. I'm going to tell people that. This weekend is nice for you? Yeah. Um, so next week is John's pick. Uh, John, what do you have for us as far as an album choice? Well, I wanted to be kind of... We're doing something, we're doing something different. Um... We're doing something from the 90s, aren't we? No, we're not doing something from the 90s, but we're doing a band that was extremely popular during the 90s. <laughs> Fish! <laughs> we're doing Fish. P-H-I-S-H. And their new album, Fuego. Mm. Called a, quote, rock album uh, with a heavy dosage of soul, reggae, and bluegrass. If you can see that combination. Fish is an oddity. They've been across rock, jam, alt... Jazz, neo, psychedelica, prog, this, that. They're I a jam think. band, and you just threw um, in just about all other genres funk, that encompass funk, jam bands. Um, funk. Uh, Enough, John. We get it. It's fish. Yeah. So we're gonna review fish next uh, week. I don't know. It sounds fishy. Uh, fish. Fuego. So this will be a daunting task for us. Fish <laughs> is, of course, a very well-known uh, band, but uh, but we will big. tackle it. Big. But um. But yes, so we're taking on fish next week at John's choice. Um, any other important points to make before we go? No, we're just I gonna wrap up. Nothing. Oh, that's good. What else? Just like what's in your head. Nothing. And on that note, music I, is life. I feel attacked. And life is good. I won't join you. No, no solidarity. <laughs>